Hi folks, Vlord here. I just wanted to give a quick forewarning that we go straight into spoilers in this episode for Demon Slayer Mugen Train. So, proceed with caution. This podcast may contain coarse language. Listener's discretion is advised. Also, this podcast will obviously contain spoilers for Demon Slayer. Please beware, listen at your own risk. Hello and welcome to the Demon Slayer Podcast. Tonight, I will be taking the reins as your host. I am Marion, aka Wavy, aka the Young Light Level Overlord, aka the Big Gyoza, aka... I'm not going to come up with more. He's not. He's not. <laughs> <laughs> but, um... Uh, <laughs> oh, with me today, I have a lovely slew of co-hosts with me. Um, first of all, we have B-Lord and... Lumron Mayasha. Say hi. Na, 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 na. Coming in like a surprise with a stick sting underling my character team. Marion may or may not have held me hostage. Send help. <laughs> <laughs> I have them at katana points. Yes. Mm-hmm. It's it's Marriott hit your you you've got he's got your arm stuck in his stomach. Yeah, they, they've got they got a stuck in my stomach, and uh, yeah, it's all part of Marion's master takeover of podcasts. They're gonna just like rule over all of them eventually. And we just gotta buy time till the sun comes out and disintegrates them. Unless Marion can pull out their arms and run away into the shade of the forest. I'll flex it just like a casa. Don't worry about it. Well, <laughs> and uh, we also have wonderful friend of the show, Meow Nine Hundred. Also known as Allie or Allison. Yes, it is me. I am one of the dumb weebs. Yes. <laughs> Perfect timing. Um, and last but not least, we have our usual co host, Sakaki. And what's this? Jekka? Who? <laughs> you? I'm not the only girl here anymore. We're just, uh, we, we, we're still like the deer in the headlights thing. We just, we're doing mind our own business, and suddenly Marion just shines this huge podcast light on us, and we couldn't run in time, so here we are. I mean, Jekka's like a rare gotcha pole. Like, you only get her, like, once in a blue moon. I- I'm too busy for anime now. We're like once in a blue spider lily. <laughs> so yeah, she's busy working on Yaiba, so we're gonna also just plug Ahotoxin. So, uh, no, I'm not gonna do that. <laughs> The better Yaiba. We work on the better Yaiba. Oh, <laughs> the, the salt. <laughs> the salt. <laughs> well. All right. I think it's time to move on to our main topic. We're here tonight to talk about Demon Slayer Mugen Train the movie. Holy crap. It came out this week. The train finally pulled into station here in North America. It took a long time for it to cross the shores, but I mean, I guess it is difficult for a train to travel overseas, on the seas, especially during a pandemic. I'm sure that slowed it down a bit. But it came barely night in, and it was definitely a trill ride. Choo-choo. Don't be late, Hashirei. Now, would y'all say that the hype train arrived on time? I think it did. I think it came at the right time for people to enjoy it to its fullest. Yeah. Uh, by the way, uh, this is just a side. Uh, how many of you are vaccinated? Me. Wheelord? Yeah, are- I got fully vaccinated today. 
I am partially. I will get my second shot very shortly. I am also vaccinated, as is Jekka. Yes. Yes, everyone listening at home, definitely make sure to get vaccinated to have a less worrisome theater-going experience. It's what killed your one-of-wanted. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Set your heart ablaze and get your shots. Exactly. Exactly. Compared to the pain Kyodra went through, getting a little needle prick is nothing. Compared to the pain these characters went through, you can endure a split second injection of life-saving vaccination. Just go to get vaccine and go to your local pharmacy before you go to the big tree. I have a feeling my audio is going to be peaking like crazy because of love. Oh, we should have checked. <laughs> I was thinking the same thing. <laughs> Yeah, it's all gonna level out anyway. It will. Thank you, Levelator. <laughs> but yeah, I, I would agree. We definitely we did receive it at the right time, at least for more people to really enjoy the movie. Uh, I guess like a good thing to kind of segue into would be like the box office performance. Uh, Lum, if you want to talk about that, it was pretty good from what I heard. Oh, it was very good. This is an extremely strong showing. For Demon Slayer, the Nordic box office. Obviously, Demon Slayer, we know that it is now the highest grossing anime film of all time, highest grossing Japanese film of all time worldwide. And currently, it is in second place for the top 10 highest grossing films of 2020 worldwide. Currently, it is about 28 million behind the number one film, a Chinese film called The 800. That currently stands at $472,500,000. And Demon Slayer Mugen Train is about right now with the Friday North American box office results at about four hundred forty. Four million and five hundred thousand dollars. So it is inching up there. There is a very good possibility that I don't think it'll make it by the this weekend, the end of this weekend. But next weekend, weekend after, it's a very good possibility that worldwide, thanks to the grosses here in North America and in other countries, Mugen Train has released in this weekend and upcoming, it'll become the number one film of twenty twenty worldwide. It's a very good bet. Not a sure bet, but a very good bet. Now, what is a sure bet is that Demon Slayer is going to rank as one of the highest grossing anime films in the North American theatrical market. Even more than DBZ? Possibly. Now, early projections for the film going into this weekend were about at $10 million. That's what box office analysts kind of had projected. And obviously, it was going to be facing competition for Mortal Kombat, Mortal Kombat, had its release date moved a week. It was supposed to come out on the 16th. They moved it to the 23rd. So that gave Demon Slayer an extra competition. And Mortal Kombat obviously was predicted to do a little bit higher. Now, both films, though, have blown away expectations. Demon Slayer predicted to make $10 million over the weekend. It made $9.5 million on one day. Friday. $9.5 million. Almost... The entirety of what they projected would make its weekend in made in one day. Now, there is the caveat that this does include Thursday night preview grosses. In case you don't know, a lot of films open on Fridays, but they actually 
in some select markets and some select theaters, they will have preview showings on Thursdays. Those do get lumped into the Friday gross. The Thursday grosses for Demon Slayer accounted for about 3.8 mil of that 9.5, but still, that's a very impressive number. And it means that on opening day, Demon Slayer was number one at the box office, beating out Mortal Kombat by 500,000. Now, weekend projections, as I said now, by the time you're listening to this, you'll know what it made. But as they are now, it's projected to make around $19 million to $20 million this weekend. And that's going to be really impressive for a three-day, four-day. To put this in context, Dragon Ball Super Broly, like the last really big standout anime theatrical release, that earned seven million on its opening night and over a six day period over that it earned about 22 million and over the three day weekend that it released in particular friday saturday sunday that was about 9.8 million so already right there you can say that demon slayer opening day gross not only higher than uh, dbz dbs broly's but also it's gross on that one day like that almost encompasses the Fridays through Sunday grosses of DBS Broly on its opening weekend. So that's phenomenal. That's incredibly impressive. But this also means that D- that Demon Slayer is assuredly going to rank in the top five highest gross anime films of all time. The floor for the top five right now is about 19 million with Secret World of Arietti. Demon Slayer is going to definitely come in like after this opening weekend at the number four spot, whatever gross that'll be is somewhere in the 19 million, 20 million range. And assuredly, like based on this opening gross and the fact that generally speaking for a movie, you can expect that 50% of the box office revenue to encompass the opening weekend. I think that we will see a overall performance of this film probably level out around the 30 million-ish range. And I think that there's a very good chance that it will ultimately lead DBS Broly's North American box office performance. That remains to be seen, but the demand for this film is very high. It is selling out in a lot of theaters. It has a very strong showing. Like, this film is a surefire hit, a big success for Funimation, Aniplex, Sony, and anime fans in North America. Like, this shows the power, the demand of Demon Slayer's Avengers, but also of big mainstream anime films, the North American theatrical market. Like, this is something that... Uh, the industry, the film industry, and the uh, theater going chains, they're paying attention to. And this can only mean like more great things in terms of getting more accessibility and for anime films on more screens. Yeah, so since this is an animated movie and over here for some reason it's rated R, wouldn't it also make it like the highest grossing R rated animated movie as well? Oh, it's already been that for a long time, Allie. Demon Slayer is like in the $445 million range. The number two R-rated anime... R-rated animated film is Sausage Party with 140 million. Demon Slayer <laughs> far and away surpasses Sausage Party's gross to be the number one R-rated Does film. Does anyone even that. remember Sausage Party anymore? I don't know. I don't know what the <laughs> fuck that is, Bueller. Really? <laughs> oh, my oh my gosh. Uh, it's a parody of Pixar films that's very raunchy. It's like basically a bunch of sex jokes and metaphors with food Characters. And I believe it was directed by Seth Rogen. 
Yeah. It was the Seth Rogen film. Yeah, it was Seth Rogen. As, also, yeah. I'm really glad we had Lomond to explain the box office, because, like, I was familiar with it, but they went way more in-depth than I could have ever imagined. Sorry, sorry if I asked a stupid question. I just, like, remembered, oh, this was rated R. That's a good question. You're good. Yeah, that's a good question. That R rating is also interesting because it also shows that, yeah, there's a market for R-rated action animated films, which that that's going to be something studios are going to pay attention to now. There's Because that would be something that would be so off the table if an American film, American animated film, would try to be a serious action adventure with an R rating. They would never make that an American animation studio. Like, they don't think that's a risk we're taking, but Demon Slayer success shows that, hey, there is an audience that's going to go see films like this, which is really notable. Well, do you, do you all think that the film actually deserves the R rating? I think they really overrated it. I think that the they gave it the R rating, obviously, because we have a lot stricter standards in terms of the amount of blood that is allowed to be shown in a film. And also the decapitation specifically yeah. are a big no-no. I think the suicide motifs were like the that is also thing. I think that probably put it over the Yeah, edge. that is also a little too much to... I think blood is fine. I will say like sitting in the theater and then just hearing like the, the villain... Uh, Enmu. Shit, I Enmu. forgot his name. Enmu, Enmu. yes. Enmu was just like... What? He's he's using suicide? And it's just like a shonen power-up, but it's suicide. I'm just like, what the fuck? <laughs> Tanjiro <laughs> learned return by death. <laughs> oh my god! But you oh see, Psych, you see, Psych was doing that first, though, so I'm not impressed. I'm sorry. <laughs> was Psych doing <laughs> it first? Thank you for bringing up the, shun the Shonen Sunday plug. We love it. <laughs> Thank you. I mean, Psych started in 2014, so... Yeah, but there was the web novel I mean, of ReZero. This is all based around the same kind of Groundhog Day trope, ultimately, anyways. Yeah, ReZero was 2012. And Groundhog Day was 1995, I think. Yeah. But 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 to clarify, Psych isn't Shonen, is ReZero Shonen? I don't think there's no real like demographics like that for uh, like web novel-based stuff. I think, because just the, the platform that it's on is pretty, like, no demographic specific so anyway moving on uh i I, re I really do agree with that like the decapitation kind of stuff and like the suicide like motif is that what it's called uh like the way that that was like used in the movie is kind of definitely what pushed it over uh the gore itself was not that bad like i think like the closest i got to like oh this is a kind of graphic was the actual like the decapitation scene for Enmu, like as he's like part of the train, and you see like the the spine, like within like the the bottom shaft of the train, I guess. Like I was like, oh, okay, I wasn't expecting that. Well, I think his first decapitation, where Tanjiro cuts his head off, and then we just see his head flying, and then his body just like limps over, like that is violent. Now, obviously, like Demon Slayer is meant as a family franchise it's meant for kids to enjoy and kids here in north america do enjoy it and i mm -hmm. really don't think that this film is objectionable for kids at all really the why this was rated r is just because of the very kind of arbitrary and outdated standards we have and I, this idea that kids can't handle this kind of violence when really like 
it is somewhat intense, but it's not more than what I think a young teenager or preteen could handle. Like, I do think this film could have been rated PG-13, but we have a little bit of a double standard when it comes to animated films and depicting graphic violence. So do you think, like, the R rating, though, limited the audience for the film? Or Not think, at all, because like, I don't think it was a deterrent. We, on both of the screenings we went to, there were families with kids there. Little kids. They brought them to the theater. The R rating did not turn the parents away. Uh, there may be families that were turned away. There may have been kids that were not able to see this film. But overall, you know, I think a lot of families were comfortable. I don't think that a lot of families are these days so uh, uncomfortable with taking their kids to see, like, our films. Like, I mean, just anecdotally, we've had experiences where we've seen films that are definitely hard ours that kids should not be at, where parents took their kids at. Remember us, V-Lord? Oh, yeah, people took a baby to them. Yeah, remember <laughs> that kid who was, like, running down the stairs, up and down the stairs while us was playing and graphic murders were happening? Oh, no, I wasn't even thinking of that child. I was thinking of the other one behind us that was yeah. screaming the entire time. See, there were, there were multiple families <laughs> oh in that God. film. Oh like, I don't think, yeah, there are a lot of parents who just are, are they're not going to care. They're going to say, hey, our kid wants to see this. It's our, it's animated. It's <laughs> Mommy, <laughs> Daddy, I want to go see Ray Goku die on the big screen. <laughs> Now, that's going to be interesting how traumatizing that would be for kids who did not expect that coming. Is that going to be the Optimus Prime dies of this generation? Now I can I can just picture like a like a seven year old at the theater going, oh, no, CGI. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. God. I, I mean, kids have more of a tolerance, I think, for poor CGI, at least based on yeah, some of the... Yeah, it's just the boldest, mm. like, ooh, these tentacles, ooh, they look so yeah. awesome. <laughs> oh, oh my god. <laughs> oh, yeah, before we get, we should probably talk about our theater experiences, right? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, of course. Who wants to go first? Why don't you go first, Allie? Oh, okay. Thank you for volunteering. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome. Uh, well, basically... I think the mall I went to was like one of those old school dead malls with a theater. Mm -hmm. So, went to a theater. The machine that we used to get the tickets was really weird, so I got some help with that. Got the ticket. It was at the wrong time and for the wrong language, but I just turned it into <laughs> the box office anyways. They don't have a okay. computer in there, and they weren't really checking, so... I just went to the 4 o'clock subtitled show with the 7 o'clock dub ticket show and nobody seemed to care. Huh. Sounds like a mall to me. And when we got there, I was like, okay, where is this theater in? I can't read numbers that good. And then, like, I hear Zenitsu screaming something because they, like, have the door open. And we're just like, oh, oh this sounds like people. And it's like, oh, Zenitsu, he's probably in there. And went inside, saw my friends sitting in the front row, and just, like, sit down, watch a movie. And it was, like, right when they were getting on the train. I don't know what they were saying, because it was all in Jap, but I'm guessing they, like, got on the train. And then, like, the title card just popped up. And oh, like, nice. It was, like, me, the four friends, and, like, six other random people. But it was fairly empty. A lot of older people. It was annoying when people went up and down. 
I, I, I don't think you missed much. I think there might have been like one scene before that with the like, Ubiyashiki scene. Yeah. Yes, where he's walking opens. by like the graves and like recalling all the all the, the fallen demon slayers' names. Mm-hmm. God, that that makes that's, me a sad panda. That's a beautiful scene. Like that opening <laughs> Lord, shot, that. I was taken aback in moment. I was like, "Whoa, this am I in the right film?" Because this it looks so real. Like Ufertabo's environs in his film, and they border on photorealistic at times. Like they are yeah. uncannily good in detail. Yeah, I think uh, Canapa effects said this before, but like the real highlight of Ufertable is their digital team. Yes, like they mm-hmm. are outstanding. Oh, absolutely. Definitely. I think I cried like four times during certain points in a movie. Do you think other people were crying or did, or did you see other people like sniffling in the theater? Yeah, they were sniffling, but like I was sniffling even before like the big parts where they're supposed to sniffle. Oh. So like when Rengoku's like, <laughs> I'm gonna live. And I'm like, well, I mean, it's more like, eh, no, you're not. I love you, but you're not. <laughs> no, you're not. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> I love you, but you're not gonna make it. Uh, did people stay like after, uh, like to see like the credits? No, we just kind of got up at that point because a lot of them had to leave, and they had like a ninety-minute, two-hour drive. Dang, that's quite a while. Wow, that's surprising. At least where we live, there are a lot of theaters showing the film and very close by i mean literally our closest theater is a four to five minute drive away yeah. and is showing this film like this weekend every day it was showing it at least eight times a day to be fair like the twin city seems to have a pretty concentrated weeb fan base at this yes. point we get every anime film at this point i think they just like the parking it's like it's a dead mall so it's easy to park the car compared to like a busy city mall with the theater. If that makes mm-hmm. any sense. Uh yeah, I think that makes sense. Yeah. Um, uh, Sakaki and Jekka, do you want to talk about your experience? I know you saw it like just like less than two hours ago. Regale us with your journey. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there really wasn't much to talk about per se. Like, of course, Jekka came from her homeland far, far away. Oh yes, yeah, Portugal. In Hyrule. <laughs> oh Portuguese. my god, Jekka's a princess. Portugal. What? Hyrule, Portugal. Yeah. Hi, Zelda. <laughs> How you doing? Hi, Zelda. Excuse you, I'm a Pona. Thank you very much. She's so Oh my she's god, so you're horse. a horse. You want to be the horse. It's a running gag. It, it's, it's, it's an inside joke. It's too much to go into right now. <laughs> so. I guess it has something to do with the link, but yeah. <laughs> yeah That'll yeah, be for the yeah, extras. That'll much. be for the... The the Patreon extras, don't worry about it. <laughs> we don't have a Patreon, but we will soon, don't worry about I it. I mean, any <laughs> Patreon extras would just be the Tommy Faithful Patreon extras at this point. Unless you guys <laughs> want us to make a Patreon, let us know. Mm. Reply to the tweet. <laughs> yeah, drop it drop it in the comments and subscribe, please. Thank Let's you. get those engagements. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, yeah, so we... Uh, so yeah, she came from... Pennsylvania and we both went to go see it and we're in Maryland. Uh yeah, I mean, I got the ticket super early and the fir- I pretty much got the very first ones that were available. So that was like the 6:30 show. It was about 20 a movie theater about 30 minutes from me and we regret that a little bit. <laughs> oh, <laughs> why, do you, why do you regret that? 
Because, like, we had to record immediately afterwards. Right. <laughs> so, um... We, we both slept really crappily last night, so no. we're kind of, like, dead right now. No. <laughs> it's, it's totally fine, though. Like, I mean, as for the actual theater, when we got there, we got there... I mean, we went to the mall early because, of course, Jekka's not been to that mall, so I just wanted to show her around. And we got there. We got there fairly early, and we got our tickets. You know, we printed them out, and then when we got to the the actual where they were going to show it, the theater itself, um, we did have to wait outside like ten fifteen minutes. But we did get there early, and they did have to like, I hate to use the word sanitize, but I guess that's the that's correct. literally yeah. what they did. I mean, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So they I don't see they the, sent. I don't see why you don't got it. Well, anyway, go on, go on. No, no. I mean, it's, it's just like I, I, I just. I don't know. I, I guess just because sanitize has this kind of negative connotation, like like it was a cesspool, and then they sanitized Sakai. it. <laughs> <Sakai>. <laughs> they have to sanitize every theater. What do you expect? Showing? So I mean, yeah, horrible. yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just my inner English major, like getting agitated over things that don't need to be. Anyway, um, yeah. So we went there. There were actually weren't that many people, like in this showing, and maybe like it might have been just a thing where, of course, everybody's got to be spread out and everything like that. But even then. Well, when it wasn't like a whole lot of people. No, I, I mean, I think it was more than I'm usually used to because almost nobody ever wants to see anime back where I'm from. Um, there were like a few people like for the second, yeah, the second uh, My Hero Academia movie. Like there were like quite a few people like when that showed. Ah, yes, and I went to go see it. No, I mean, yes. Um. Otherwise, I mean, it it is a little bit more than I'm used to. Unless you go to like cons and stuff, then there's always like a crap ton of people there. But oh yeah, all yeah. the people lighting up outside the room. <laughs> Anime Expo flashbacks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Pro Bear was fun. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the only PTSD I, mean, were... I have was seeing Free and Black Butler. Yeah, there was. I mean. Like, and there were a couple, like, we saw, like, one or two cosplayers. Um, One was for Haikyuu, and I think I saw a Tanjiro, like, mm. in the theater with us, so... Haikyuu representation, um, yes! So they, we love um, to see these young they, kings <laughs> hold each other up like this. Yes. <laughs> I mean, I was wearing a one-piece jacket, because I don't have a Demon Slayer one, so anybody listening can get me, like, a Tanjiro jacket, I'd be down with that. <laughs> but, I think Hot Topic sells one. Well, there's a Hot Topic in that mall, we should have checked it. I was literally going to make a joke like, ah, yes, you showed her to the Hot Topic. Like, as every mall has <laughs> Gonna go but, down to down to Hot Topic. Burn it down <laughs> to the ground. But, I mean, as for, like, the audience itself, like, there wasn't much crying or anything. Like, one person, like, when Kyojiro got killed, one person did sort of laugh because of the sound oh, Tanjiro no. made. <laughs> okay, that was actually me. I was actually in your theater. I did, I had that similar reaction. I felt bad immediately after, but I was like, oh, shit. Yeah, no. <laughs> um, uh, wait, was it Tanjiro or was it like, Zeni? Like, it was, no, no, it was like when, when Kyojiro got killed. Yes. And like, Tanjiro and then made Tanjiro, this sound. Like, yeah. He basically like screamed and burped out crying. And like, we just hear this girl behind us laughing. And I was like, are you okay? Back oh, then? yeah. This is like that scene where like the mist is like covering it up. And then you see like Akaza's arm through him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was and like, like <laughs> she's like, yeah, she's like cracking up at it. And, and, and to be fair, Tanjiro <laughs> did make this kind of awkward noise. So, <laughs> so um, like, yeah. I mean, besides that, of course, we're we're terrible people, and we were making like when they were doing the credits, 
And like uh, they had the pictures of Kiljiro, like Jekka was like <laughs> in memorandum <laughs> to who we lost. <laughs> I mean, that's basically what like uh, yeah. Homura is about, anyways. I mean, yes, but yeah. the way she said it, it was so deadpan. <laughs> yeah, like, was... So like it's just black and then white letters because it's all the credits scrolling up, and then all of a sudden you just see Rengoku like show up, and I'm just like in memorandum. <laughs> <laughs> that god damn! Oh no. <laughs> Oh, that, we was, just, that was your inner AMV director. I love it. And we, and we were just like, yeah, we were cracking jokes for the credit. It was pretty bad. <laughs> but <laughs> but if we were to say that there was, um, well, no, I guess we'll talk about that later, like our, our personal feelings about the movie. But yeah, I mean, overall, it was a pretty good experience. Nice. I'm glad to hear that. Uh, Lum and V-Lord, why don't you chime in now? Yeah, we had two experiences. First, our Thursday night screening and then the Friday screening where we saw the dub. So Thursday night, we went to the South AMC Southdale. And that is a theater in Southdale, Minnesota, which is like, you know, kind of a... A theater in a mall. Like, it's one of those kind of bigger metropolitan area theaters. Yeah, it's one of the theaters in the Twin Cities area that uh, gets most of the anime screenings. Yeah, it's very reliable that you'll often find anime it's screenings. It's like the New York there. of anime theaters. It's the uh, East Village Cinemas of your area. Maybe. I mean, it's no Minneapolis. Minneapolis will get, uh, especially with the Langmark Theater chain, they'll get a lot of the more really like limited anime films or limited like foreign film screenings yeah but for somewhat more major but still fairly limited releases Southdale will get it but the important thing to note here with this film is that it is a wide release kind of on the same level as Broly and MHA movie 2 now, not as wide released as a tentpole blockbuster film from a North American studio, but it was released in about five, five, 15,000 theaters across this country, across the country. So, the, you know, a good contrast would be Mortal Kombat released this weekend. That was released in over 3,000 theaters. And so, Demon Slayer was released in about half as many theaters as Mortal Kombat. And in terms of the upper uh, kind of uh, exposure a film can get and how many theaters it can get, I think it can be over 4,000 theaters. It's like on the upper, upper limits of a release. So did more people go to see Demon Slayer than they did to Mortal Kombat? Well, very competitively, yes. Like, even though it was in half as many theaters a lot of people went to see demon slayer to the fact that it is competitive with mortal kombat even though mortal kombat isn't twice as many theaters the weebs came out yeah it's very good that demon slayer that is ultimately it's still somewhat of a niche property in comparison to something like mortal kombat and obviously it does not have the reach and again like the exposure that mortal kombat has in terms of how many theaters is in it's way more accessible like, you guys just talked about you had to drive, like, a good half hour to get to a theater near you that would see it. And, I mean, we're lucky that we had theaters closer to us. But that is also a situation for a lot of people, I'm sure, that they would have to drive, you know, a little bit longer, maybe, to find a theater with Demon Slayer than Mortal Kombat generally. Just because Mortal Kombat isn't in twice as many theaters. And... Mm-hmm. Also, like, it's worth noting that in terms of promotion, like... 
Warner Brothers spent millions of dollars uh, promoting Mortal Kombat. Like, I believe it was something like $60 million they've spent on promoting Mortal Kombat. Funimation, for all we know, has barely spent a pittance on promoting this film. Like, uh, the only number that we know for how much they spend on advertising was less than 100 k for TV spots and only on Adult Swim. Like... And Funimation, in terms of promotion, has only really been using, like, very targeted advertising and, like, very niche channels and basically social media. So it really speaks to the power that, in terms of awareness, like, audiences are really seeking out this film to find it, to go watch it. It speaks to the appeal and the draw of this film that even though it did not have like a huge marketing campaign like a big tentpole film like Mortal Kombat, like it's still doing about as well. Like it, again, it is very significant. To go back to though our theater experience, you know, at Southdale. Now, uh, on the Thursday night screenings at the South Chino Theater, there was more than one. Like that's another thing that's so impressive about this film. Is because normally when there's a preview screening, there's like maybe one showtime, maybe two showtimes. And when we saw Broly those two years ago, that was the case. There was like one showtime, or maybe later they added a second. I think there was a second later, but yeah. Demon Slayer, multiple showtimes. Now, and not only that, there were multiple showtimes, they were all almost sold out. Like I was looking on the AMC app, seeing like how full these uh, screenings were getting, they were getting pretty full. Like, not completely, like our screening was not completely full, but it was close to it. And there were sold outs. Yeah, under night. COVID regulations, mind you. There's still like Yeah, but space that's another brain. thing you guys are talking about. Oh, we didn't notice a lot of people there. Like, again, keep in mind, not only COVID regulations, but also the fact that compared to most other anime screenings, that there are more showtimes for this film. So people have more flexibility of when they can see it. But yeah, so our Thursday night screening, very full, definitely full of very enthused fans. We saw cosplayers. One notable person who dressed up that I saw was someone who, like, I think they were wearing Tanjiro pattern clothes with, like, the checkered green and black glasses, but they also were wearing, like, a Demon Slayer blanket. It's kind of a cape around them. That was a very notable, like, costuming choice. Yes, it was very cute. And, yeah, there were definitely Tanjiro cosplays as a cosplays. Now, yeah, like, the theater, very enthusiastic about the film. They were super into it, especially comedy with Zenitsu and Inosuke. They got them rolling, and Inosuke was definitely the crowd favorite the fan favorite like a lot of his stuff really made them laugh and <laughs> it was a riot like even like at the emotional moment at the end when Inosuke is like you know flailing his arms about and like trying to get Tanjiro to train with him that got a reaction on the audience like they really enjoyed that and they laughed at that so like Inosuke's and Inosuke, like all the comedy moments in this film involving them, those hit with our audience. They laughed every time. They were very into it. Emotional moments, we definitely heard crying at all the expected emotional moments, but particularly like of course at the big emotional climax of Rengoku's death. There was crying. Like the person to the right of me, like they were super into this film. Like their hands were like buried in their face because they were like on the edge of their seat. Like literally, they were like hunched over. Yeah. Like. 
hands in their face oh my their hands over their mouth like they were absorbed in this film. <laughs> i felt kind of bad no like, but oh, like no. our audience super enthusiastic and passionate about this film like very very like great showing reactions from them generally now the only like kind of weirdness was that the, there were people sitting directly behind us and then early on i don't know it seemed like someone came to them and they were talking to them and then they just left and they didn't come back. I think they went to the wrong showtime. That's what I thought too. I think that they maybe wanted to see the dub or something, but they ended up in the sub or they were just in the wrong showtime for their friends. Because there were multiple showtimes around the same time. Again, that's so rare and significant for this film. But yeah. You know, so. I, could, I would just imagine the, the friend told them, the guy with the chicken hair dies. <laughs> <laughs> and they were just nope can't deal with that uh, emotional pain i <laughs> i so don't positive. want to cry tonight <laughs> no no <laughs> so overall i think our jersey night showing was very very enjoyable like definitely a good audience for for the most part and then thursday uh no the next day friday we saw the dub and not a lot of people at the showtime we went at. We saw it at a street 30. So it's to be expected. There wouldn't be a ton of people at a street 30 on a Friday. But yeah, there was like, I think one person in the same row as us, a couple ahead of us, a family of four behind us. And a fam- this family had like two little kids. So yeah, that was th- that, uh, the audience that was with us for the dub and that was a little more of a quiet audience. The guy to the right of me, the left of me, like they did laugh at a lot of the stuff and I think I did hear them sniffle and cry at the emotional moment that when Goku's dead and stuff. Uh, I couldn't really gauge the reaction of the family behind me but I think the kid enjoyed it. So yeah, nice. I mean, it was still like a quieter audience and a much smaller audience, but generally still, you know, I enjoyed watching the film. Uh, I mean, would you agree, Wheelard? Like, uh, what are your impressions? Anything? Mugen yeah. trade was awful. It sucked. Okay, okay. <laughs> right, you're here by band well, for the podcast. Uh, you can th- leave your host coming, at the door. I'll take care of that. You lied to that New York Times guy then. You were like you quoted did. to help hype the film up, but then you, you just... lied through your teeth. But no, no, no. let him wrong. <laughs> okay, in all seriousness though, I agree with like everything Lub said. Um yeah, I noticed like quite a few people crying, especially on the Thursday one, and the Thursday screening in general definitely had the best reactions just because there was more people, which like from a COVID perspective was kind of like kept me a little bit on edge, but like right. It was also really nice having that kind of group theater experience again yeah. after so long. And like, again, pretty full. Only really the front rows the and the handicap row were not filled. Yeah, which so is like standard. The front most row and the handicap row, those are the only rows without people. In people yeah. saw the seats available and were like, no, nah, I'll get the next screening. I guess it's also <laughs> worth mentioning that our Thursday showing was the IMAX version. Yes, that's, a, that's also an important point. Well, that's interesting. The IMAX version, I think we both came with the takeaway that, you know, it didn't add too much. In fact, seeing the dub the next day, I think that the IMAX version, during one specific part, the part where, you know, Enmu shows that he's huge with the train and, you know, 
the, the CGI tentacles start showing up. I honestly think that the having that in IMAX almost detracted, like just the clear quality almost like made it stand out that the compositing wasn't super perfect and it was super awkward. Whereas yeah. when I saw the dub next day, I was like, oh, you know, not on an IMAX screen, this blended in more seamlessly. It also, I feel like the IMAX version wasn't very well optimized. I feel like no. it's not the type of film that you really get much out of by seeing it in IMAX, especially sub because of like the angle of the screen too. Yeah. I mean, it also might just be a problem with AMC theaters. Like sometimes quality control in AMC theaters can be a little janky. Like when we saw the last Heaven's Feel film, like the screen was dirty. Yes, I noticed that. That was so upsetting. Uh, Like there's stains on the screen. The good thing is in Heaven's Feel 3, there isn't many like scenes where like super light colors Right, and so, obviously I got invested in the film, so yeah. I forgot about it. But like, it was very disappointing. Like, clean the screen, come on. Yeah, I mean, was Heaven's Feel three better than Mugen Train, though? You know, that's a hard question. After seeing it two times, like, I think that I'm just so endeared to the themes of this film, obviously, and you know everything involving Goku and oh Tanjiro's arc in the film. And generally, I also have more attachment to Demon Slayer as a franchise that I may put it above. But I also need to watch Heaven's Fields Three again. You know, I've seen this film not twice, but Heaven's Fields Three I only watched once. But Heaven's Fields Three is like so good too and such a great conclusion to that story and so emotional yeah. and I can see what Kim Morrissey was saying in her A&N review that you know compared to Heaven's Field Street the Demon Slayer film animation wise it isn't quite at that caliber it's still incredible of course but like it isn't necessarily the best Ufotable has done and it isn't necessarily stronger on the whole than the TV series yeah I'd, I'd agree and this is kind of going out of theater experiences at this point, but I do feel Heaven's Field 3 was the pinnacle of Yufa Table. It's mm-hmm. probably the best thing Yufa Table has made from a production standpoint. Mm-hmm. And it makes sense. Fate is like their tentpole franchise. It was extremely important. But Mugen Train, it really felt like just an extension of the TV series for better and worse at times. Like, there were some really cool action scenes, especially between Rengoku and Akaza at the end. But for the most part, it didn't, it didn't really meet my expectations on just an average level. There are definitely moments where it felt like, oh, this is still reminiscent of what we expected from the a TV, TV anime, yeah, TV level production, especially in terms of the amount of, you know, static moments with characters, which, you know, that is anime style filmmaking, but it is noticeable and you would expect just a little more from a theatrical yeah. Feature, especially after seeing Violet Evergarden. Now, Kyoani is, of course, on another level on that kind of thing. But, but even yeah, like but, other Yufa Table films, you look even back to yes. Garden of Sinners. Yes. Like, yes. I feel there was way less static moments in that compared to this film. And that, that kind of bothers me. Mm. I can, uh, I can, I can kind of attest to that too. But, uh, I think before we go more deeper into that kind of stuff, I'll talk about my theater experience. Mm. Uh, oh, yeah. Sorry about that, Marion. <laughs> No, I don't think you are, but I'll keep going. Uh, oh, <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. All right, spicy Marion. <laughs> Thanks. That's my that's my host breathing cooking in. Anyway, <laughs> your host what now? Breathing. Oh, I thought anyway. you said breathing. <laughs> breathing. <laughs> anyway, my 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 theater experience. Uh, I went to the Union Square Regal. Uh, 
I jokes on me because like it had like 40x and like the theater name on Fandango, and I thought that meant that the screening was in 4D. <laughs> but it was just a normal screening. I went to the sub one last night at it was like a 1020-ish. Um at first I was really scared because like when I got there, I like sat through previews and stuff, but then like once it be or it wasn't previews, it was just like normal like ad stuff. And then like once it was like 1020. The screen went black for like a good three minutes and there was like nothing happening. And I was like, what the fuck? Is 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 this good? Like I turned around like at least three times in like the span of like like two minutes to see like is is the real okay? Is this anything happening? I don't know. Wow, then, like, are, are you sure you didn't see this in AMC Theater? Oh But um after like three or four minutes, like the previews actually did start in uh, in actuality, and then like I, I saw like some trailers and shit or whatever. I was like, <laughs> it's crazy how they're putting all these live action commercials for shit of like an animated movie. But I'm like, what else are they gonna put? But uh, yeah, it's just like the package deal that yeah. comes with showing uh, theatrical releases at a wide scale. Like they were also trailers in front of Broly and uh, the second MHA film because they were they were also released under a similar format. Makes sense. Distribution. Uh, hmm. This was like this is like the only time I've been in theaters since like I think the last movie I saw was uh what came out first, Promare or Konosuba. I think they were like near the same time period. Promare came out before Konosuba, I think. Then Konosuba I, I, came out later. Konosuba came out later, I think. Okay. Konosuba was the last movie I saw in theaters, and that was very packed. Uh, it was in a different theater, of course, but uh, my theater was like, uh, I think when I came in, I was like one of like three people. I got there pretty early. Um mm. Just because, like, I wanted to, like, I wanted to get concessions. Uh, I, I bought, like, a big popcorn, which I did not finish, by the way, because I got so engrossed that I forgot to eat. Uh, the large popcorn is never meant for a single person to finish. Like, if you look at the calorie counts, like, that's, like, a full day's meal worth of calories. You, you should really split it up. And I always make the mistake. It's like, we always get popcorn, and Wheeler said, hey, we'll get popcorn. We'll share. And Wheeler never eats any of it, and I end up eating most of it. I'm like, damn it. Well, at the time, <laughs> I'm hungry. I can't, <laughs> I can't stop myself. Like, once I start eating and getting gross movie, I just, like, uncon- that's the danger with popcorn. Then let me hold the bucket. You know, maybe that's a good idea. I also got so engrossed, I also forgot to eat. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I don't know. I, this is, I, this is the, the only time and probably the last I'll ever get a large popcorn. <laughs> but, uh... I think the last movie I saw in theater was either MHA Movie 2 or that Trippy romance movie by the Double Man guy. Oh, uh, uh, oh, ride your wave. Ride your wave. I was gonna say ride on me, but that's not at all. (laughs) Ride on me, no. It doesn't turn into a car. This isn't the Utena movie. If only it was the Utena movie. (laughs) Ride on me. But uh, thanks. (laughs) Ride on shooting star. Oh no, yes. Let's go back to that one. Um, The theater itself was fine. Like, I think more people started coming in, like, during, like, I think, like, five minutes into the previews. Uh, To be fair, though, like, I think at max, there were probably, like, 20, 25 people total in the theater. Uh, I was, like, kind of surprised. I I was expecting more. 
uh, in my row, there was only like three people, including me. And we were all like spread out, of course. Uh, there were not that many people in front. I was like on like, I would say like the middle, closer to like the first third of the seats. I think I was like row F or whatever. Um, in front of me, there was only like a group of two and a group of three and like different uh, sides. And then behind me, uh, I know that there was like a couple, there were three people who came in together and then like some scattered other people. Uh, I was, I was, I was legit kind of surprised. Cause like I, I was expecting like, even with like uh, COVID regulations to, for there to be more, just more people in general. But uh, the, the experience watching the movie was like, you know, it's fine. Like there are not that many people. Uh, they weren't that like uh, loud or I guess like responsive as a crowd. Uh, I did hear people like, for like more surprising moments i would hear like gasps and like mm -hmm. um for like general like oohs and ahs for like some of the the spectacle scenes which was like cool like at least uh it wasn't like completely dead um uh yeah i don't know i th i enjoyed my ex my experience for the most part um it it was it felt very like weird just like in retrospect because like every time i've gone to see an anime movie in theaters like it's usually with like a lot of diehard fans and like they either get like it's either like in like 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 the two experience i think of the most are like db dbs broly where it's like that move that theater was like erupting with like hype and like people yeah. shouting and screaming it at like everything and then like or uh when i saw the first heavens feel uh and it's just people like cracking up at like the the most oblique of references and shit i'm just like the guy's just eating mapo tofu Why, that where is mapo tofu <laughs> was delicious though yeah people laughed at that scene when we saw it too it's pretty great yeah but um no yeah i mean it was cool though like you could still tell people really enjoyed it uh before like as i was getting like my popcorn i saw i saw one person in like uh I think he was holding. He he was wearing like a like a Tanjiro jacket with like the the checkered green and black, and then uh, general like th there's some people with like anime shirts and stuff like that. But besides that, not much in the realm of like cosplay and stuff. Um, I think <laughs> there were a couple people like who came specifically to see Mortal Kombat because I think they were there was like the theater or the the room right next to the Demon Slayer one, which is kind of funny. Uh, but yeah, I think my, my experience is very tame. I did meet a, a cool fan like after, and I I, I shouted out the podcast. <laughs> he was like, cool, listen. Uh, Randy, if you're listening, shout out to you. Uh, I, I, I think your name is Randy. I If I remembered your name wrong, I'm really sorry. Oh my god. But yeah, uh, we can talk about the movie itself now, I guess. It's bad. Come on, V-Lords. Enough with these lies. Turn off his Enough mic. Enough these bad jokes. <laughs> Let's kick his ass. I, it's so overtired, like saying, oh, something we obviously thought was good was bad. No, it was good, damn it. We all know it was good. Did we expect it not to be good? I mean, we knew what to expect. We knew that Ufotable would deliver. We knew what the story was all about. And boy, howdy, did Ufotable bring it to laugh. Yeah, I mean, after how much uh, Daryl Harding Daza hyped it up, to like me, Marion, and Skaki, like I kind of knew it was gonna be good. I mean, it's Ufotable, it's Demon Slayer, but what what could go wrong? True. Unless they just bad made bad production, I guess, or they Crunch. just made the entire movie about Zenitsu. Okay, you know what? Can I bring this up? Like, I 
surprisingly, I find I found myself laughing more at like Zenitsu scenes than I did in Osuke scenes. Zenitsu scenes were pretty funny in this film. I I legit like I was I had to stifle some of my laughter from like when the guy like entered Zenitsu's mind palace and was like, "Where's the where's the subconscious?" And then he just like that was an expertly done scene. Like yeah, yeah, just nothing personnel. But why are you a guy in here? (laughs) Where's Mexico? (laughs) (laughs) Both Hiroshimono and Alex Lee did an amazing job with Sinitsu. I feel so bad for the comedy. Yes. I mean, the worst of it, though, is at the beginning when Sinitsu is freaking out about the demons on the train. That's the most screamy he is, and it's the most Uh, annoying. After that, it's Don't leave me alone. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I mean, all the screams make it easy to find a theater room that definitely (laughs) <laughs> the inner door open the inner Zenitsu shouting about stuff it's like oh the movie's in there yeah <laughs> I mean as much as I uh burn Zenitsu constantly yeah he, he was not that bad in this film but Inosuke man that Inosuke oh my god Inosuke like again Bryce Packenbub Yoshitsugu Matsoka amazing performances in this film extremely funny stuff but I just love the flourishes they made to Inosuke's fantasy where we see the train imagine it's like a centipede as monster in general like that was that just added so much like the way they expanded on just the little little things here and there in the film like it's in general a faithful to the manga story, but they just add just these little extra touches to bring out so much flavor and just make the experience just so much more enhanced and fun and enjoyable. It was so great. Yeah, I mean, as far as I can tell, they didn't cut anything. In fact, they just added stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they did. They they do expand on some things. Like there are a lot of character moments that are given more time to breathe and given more like big emphasis and weight to it. Like it's just. Yeah, they really made this film feel like it, and they made every moment feel like a big moment. Mm, That's what you want from a film. I think it just felt like a really, really, really long episode of the show, but in a movie. Well, it is that. It is more of the story, more of the show, but, you know, it is... It was a good arc to choose for a film because it is relatively short, and the scale of it, the scope of it, it feels like it has the weight it needs to for a big screen experience. And Uvatabal also knew to enhance it to be that experience in terms of like embellishing a lot of the action. Like there's just so much of the action that it's just expanded upon, given so much more excellent flourish. Like just so much of the Rengoku Akaza fight is like inventing this film almost or like sh- so much more of it is shown in this film that was ever in the manga the like particularly baby. amazing choreography mm-hmm. like the big attacks like just so much flash and just so much power and just intensity to them and i just love the little details that they make sure to add in we see 
how Rengoku gets his ribs broken when Akasa punches him in the side. We see the moment where he crushes his eye, where Akasa like punches his sword and he slips past the sword and hits Rengoku in the eye and crushes it and we see Rengoku fall back. Yes. We see these moments that were skipped over in the manga and it just adds so much more to the desperation, the sense of Rengoku being slowly withered down in this fight. It just makes the fight yes. just so much more intense, <laughs> emotional, desperate. <laughs> and compelling and trawling. It's just yes. masterfully directed. I think I, I love I think you made Marion have an orgasm. <laughs> I'm just copying bison from the Street Fighter cartoon. Uh, <laughs> the one the one thing Long I want to franchise, what's a Mortal Kombat uh sign of enthusiasm weekend? Um well, I don't know how Mortal Kombat did compared to Demon Slayer. <laughs> the one thing I want to add on to that too is that I really like that they got rid of a lot of the third-person narration yes. in that arc. Yes. They they did what the Hunter Hunter anime should have done right. and made it actual character dialogue. No, yeah, they interwove a lot of stuff that was third-person omniscient narration in the manga into character dialogue. Like when Moose, like uh, when Emu was explaining motivations and details of his plan and like also when Rengoku in his subconscious recognizes the girls trying to destroy his spiritual core and she in the in this film she is the one who recognizes what's going on where in the original it's like oh third person on this generation and Can I make a very tasteless joke yes uh sure oh when i saw uh when i was watching the scene where like oh Rengoku like suddenly like defends himself and he starts like choking the girl who's like trying to kill his uh spirit spiritual core or whatever in my head i, I was gasping because i was like is Rengoku gonna have to choke a bitch yes <laughs> yes Mary i thought that why? too but but you beat in uh, i'm so glad now you said it's it, interesting that there are because generation was gotten rid of there are like some details that are not fully explain that works way in the manga for example like that Rengoku you know choking that girl you know in the manga it's made clear that Rengoku would never kill a human so that's why he's at a crossroads that's why like he's at a standstill with like what he had what he's doing in that moment that's not necessarily communicated in the film like we we don't really get that context. Yeah, we only get that like he's just defending himself subconsciously as like an a reflex. That's yeah. all they say. Similarly, the manga explains that Tanjo manifested visions of himself and his father to give him the hints he needed to figure out like how to break free of Emu's spell. The manga is uh, the anime the film does not make that like kind of explicit point with him saying oh i'm manifesting myself and my father to help guide me through this like in this film they lean more to your interpretation and trusting audience to understand it which i appreciate like one bit where i really like that they did in this film is when nezuko wakes up and is trying to get tantra to wake up like in the manga we have like her in a thought but i thinking that she wants to get head pats from tanjiro in this film though we see her like lift tanjiro's head and like pat her head with Tanjiro's <laughs> hand and it's just like Show I don't like yeah exactly there's a lot of that in this film that I really appreciate it just again I think uh, like what we were saying like getting rid of that third person honest generation and just weaving that into like dialogue and actions in the story it's just such a huge improvement and just like I really appreciated it <laughs> 
Like, yeah. I like that. Like, it's the best part definitely was also with uh, the guy that had tuberculosis. Yeah. Yeah, like, that's my favorite oh, part. Because in the, the manga, fucking... it's just the narrator to be like, okay, this is why yeah. he's not angry anymore. No, this time it's him reflecting on what he experienced inside Tanjiro's soul and, like, how that affected him. Like, all of that that was originally a narration, it's just his dialogue. And that connects us so much more to that character. And one mm-hmm. detail I love that they add in this film is that... We see that that character with tuberculosis that was connected to Tanjiro. We see him, like, when he's in Tanjiro's dream. Like, he's just kind of standing by a tree, just, like, waiting. Kind of just, like, not not really making his move. And it's like you get this sense that this guy, he doesn't really want to necessarily destroy Tanjiro's core. He would have been content to let Tanjiro keep dreaming if he never realized the truth. And that's why he was hesitating there and why he didn't do anything until Tanjiro woke up and left his family. And that's when he realized, well, I guess I do have to destroy his core. Like, I like that. It's just such a small extra scene. Like, just a couple extra seconds, but so much more context and character (laughs) is communicated in that that just adds so much. It's almost as if you should let people interpret things. Yeah, exactly. Like, it it leaves room for... Sorry, Ellie, go ahead. I said, yeah, but we're like an hour into this thing, but I'm just saying nobody's talked about the music. It's very good. I really appreciate it. Obviously, when Tanjiro is meeting his family and is making that big emotional like farewell that they do play a refrain of Tanjiro and Uta. Now, they don't use the full vocal version, but like kind of like a version that has kind of like hums in it. But it's like it's yeah, a great it's like a emotional undercurrent thematic thing to put in that. It just was really well used. Also, there was some track in it that like sounded like drums or guitar. Yeah, screwing the Akaza fight. Yes. The, uh, oh, you mean the remix pillar theme? That's literally is a fucking pillar theme. <laughs> okay, that's what it reminded me of, too, kind of. <laughs> I was literally it's... jamming out to all the songs in the movie and everyone was like, what the hell are you doing? And it was like, bro, this shit's awesome. Yeah. Also, is. Homer at the end. Such an emotional Ooh. song. Just so perfect the way it leads into the credits. And the lyrics, like, this is my first time really seeing the lyrics. Just oh, yeah. so poignant yeah. and gut punch. Like, just such a great song about grief and just acceptance of like a person in your life you loved and then just moving on it's just so beautiful mm. also I, I do want to bring Sakaki in on this because if I recall he refused to listen to the <laughs> song before this I movie did too. how did you survive I mean I just didn't listen to it <laughs> I, I don't know how to answer that question um, yeah, it, it was a good song. I, I really liked it. Like, um, I I will say, maybe it's because I just recently read the manga from Manga Mavericks, so it was still really fresh in my mind. So things that might have made me cry when if, oh, well, although I guess I don't get very emotional anyway, but things that might have made me cry if I had forgotten a lot of it, that w- it didn't hit as hard because I just read it. But um, I will say, like, uh, but yeah, Homegrown is a really good song. I liked it more lyrically than musically, to be honest with you. The lyrics like, are so good. Yeah, the lyrics were super good. I, I did really like those. But musically, I was just kind of like, yeah, it's a Lisa song. I highly recommend uh, watching the watching the first take video that Lisa did for Homura. 
Like, because you can really see how emotional she gets, like, while singing the song. Mm. And, like, afterwards, like, she's just sobbing, actually. It, like, it after carries doing through, it. yeah. And she's like, this song reminds me of, like, so many emotions. Mm. And you can really kind of tell that when she's singing it. It's really depressing. I think it might have been more depressing than that one in episode 19, but I need to compare the levels of pain. The one in episode 19 isn't that depressing. It's more of like... Yeah, it's more of an uplifting song. Yeah, Yeah, that's more... Like, that's more of an uplifting song than a depressing one, I'd say. Even this one's not really meant to be depressing, more of, like, somber. Yeah, yeah. Maybe I need to check out the first take. Maybe that'll be, like, more... That'll be more resonant with me. But, I mean, this isn't me saying, oh, it was a shitty song, and I I was better off not hearing it at all. I mean, but I appreciate it more lyrically. I guess, like emotionally, going tracking back to what you guys were saying about the movie, I, I couldn't put my finger on it, but yes, you're right. It's like it was just basically a longer TV episode, and there's nothing wrong with that per se, especially with the nature of this movie being just a continuation of the TV series. So, like, because yeah, for the whole time I was watching it, I was just like, this is good, but was it? Is it as really as good as I was expecting from this? And again, it's by no means a bad movie, like animation wise, writing wise, everything is really up there. But I'm just like, yeah, there were kind of a lot of static moments that you'd expect from the TV series, though. Again, I didn't like really get as emotional as I thought. But I will say, you know, Skay at the end, like when he's just, you know, telling Tanjiro to basically, you know, if what's the point of crying about this, you know, rather than wondering if you can go do it and everything like I like that guy was speaking some truth. Like, so good. I just love the animation of him just flailing his round arms while crying. Like again, the character animation of this, like they do some really great character ideas. It's so good. Like adds mm. so much. I think. Like yeah, yeah. Inosuke really is best girl. <laughs> Inosuke is best everything. I mean, yeah. Inosuke really did. It's just like his roles in the movie were like super good. Like all of them, even even the comedic stuff, like what inside of his dream and everything like that, where he's offering Bunny Nezuko like chestnuts. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I love how Zenitsu basically just looks like Iyabi in his like vibe too. <laughs> yeah, I mean he's about yes. to resemble a mouse. Yeah, with his buck tooth, and yeah. it's like not just in Inosuke's fantasy, but also in Rengoku's fantasy, and like when they're first getting their tickets, but she has buck teeth. That's just how people see him. <laughs> I love how over the top that was too. Like in the manga, it was just like you know maybe it's just because of the nature of the manga, of course. But the anime was just so off the over. They're like like any Aniki. They're they're like yes. flying around yeah. him and everything. They really <laughs> like, play up the cartooniness of it and like the fantasiness of it in the film, whereas in the manga, it's like not as exaggerated to the point where you could buy it as something that maybe happened before you realize. Oh no, this. They're already under the dream at this point. Where's our Inosuke Splunky video game? <laughs> I would I would play that, yeah. A little RPG with Inosuke as a cave explorer with his all his band of companions. Yes, I need yeah. this. Made the Abyss, but everything's the same, but Inosuke's the main character. <laughs> Actually, that would make it better. <laughs> Let's do it. I don't know. I feel like if I feel like Tanjiro's role in the movie was like very well defined. Just the fact that like, oh, he's a main character with main character powers. He's the one first one to wake up. But like, I think the way that everything was framed, like around like how the all the events that happen, uh, 
how they're framed with like, oh, uh, Tanjiro is the impetus for like this part of the plot to move forward or to continue or whatever. Because like, I think it was done pretty well, to be honest. Um, just like, like I said, like, yeah, yeah, he's the first one to wake up, but that's because he has this bond with Nezuko and like Nezuko is able to use her blood demon art to wake him up. And then like, that leads to like, once he's, uh, aware of the situation and like, uh, how to free the others, like then that's Nezuko's role, I guess. But like, um, I don't know. I, I think the way that like Tanjiro is like the point of view character of the audience in terms of like, Oh, these are all the things that are happening. Uh, let's see how the crew gets through it through the eyes of this character. Like, I, I think it was done very, very competently in a way that like, I was pretty engaged, even though like, yeah, like I read the manga, but like also uh, the way that uh, the way that they were able to frame uh, like these events. Like, I feel like I'm just talking in circles, but like it it worked really, really well. Um, yeah, I think a definite strength of this arc and the material is that this arc is really about Tanjiro really confronting kind of the grief he still carries about losing his family and like the regrets he left behind about, you know, not being able to continue living that life. Here he has to confront that like directly in this dream world where he can continue and choose to stay here in this dream where he's still with his family. He can still live out this life he always thought he would leave, but he realizes, no, he has to leave that out. He has to confront reality and he needs to move on, accept this grief, accept what has happened in his past and realize he has to keep moving forward. That's also what ties into the climax with Rengoku. It also ties into basically all the Tantra's motivation in this film of him wanting to protect all the lives on this train prevent any more tragedies, any more lives being taken away, lost in front of him. And that's what makes a gut punch of the end so tragic, is that Tanjiro witnesses someone that he cares about die in front of him, and he can't do anything. He was powerless to help or stop it. And yeah, but like that, the, the what makes that work so well is just the fact that part of Tanjiro's like acceptance and like being able to like move on from like the tragedy is also accepting the fact that he's weak and like that mm -hmm. he ha he has grown stronger but not maybe as fast or as powerful as he would have liked and then th that acknowledgement is like very very important because then later once Rankoku is out and like protecting them from like Akaza he he acknowledges like yeah uh, Tanjiro may not be strong as I am but he has uh, something and and like Part of the, the duty of the strong is to protect the weak and so that they can grow stronger and then they can they can do the same thing later on. Is that kind of like theme of like passing the torch on or whatever is like something that we talked a lot about uh, whenever we discussed the manga. And like just seeing that presented so like gracefully, I think, in this film was like, oh, it, it was it added to the gut punch. And it also like really made Rengoku's character click for me because like I, I was a fan of, uh, of like him in the, the manga or whatever. But then like. Something about, like, hit this rendition, like, really, really just hit me. Because um, I think, like, just the pacing and, like, the way that little hints and stuff are, like, scattered. Like, it, it we get to see, like, in his uh, Rengoku's dream world about, like, his relationship with his family. And his mom is alluded to, but then, like, the actual flashback with his mother and the ideals that she instilled into him. Um, and, like, how that informed his role as, like, a protector and how he like interacts with other people as like uh like an upholder of justice who like uh saves others and stuff like that it's just like it was great like I, I, it even like it helped me overlook the fact that like oh yeah they really just introduced his mom to like 
show her like, oh yeah, she, she's she's getting fridged, but also check out <laughs> check out this like formative moment, you know? Uh, I don't know. It, it's really no, thematically, it all really works well because the lessons that Ruka passed on to uh, Rengoku, his mother passed on to him. Like he also in turn instills that same a lesson for Tanjiro, the next generation. He believes in them that they will grow to be pillars that will protect the weak. Like that, like, again, it is about this kind of intergenerational passing of values, but also like, you know, accepting those feelings of those that have gone and have passed on and carrying on and moving forward to live up to like those expectations and to do right by those expectations uh, and that responsibility that you now carry. Yeah. Cause even before the whole realization and like acceptance the ton- of Tanjiro that he was like, he's not as strong as he wants to be. Uh, he's still going out of his way to defend other people. And like, even uh, the scenes where he has, to, he like not has to, where he displays his empathy toward people who even harmed him. Uh, the conductor guy, the, the, the yeah the engineer who, who stabbed who was trying to stab Nosekibet Tantra got in the way and yeah. he stabbed him instead yes and yeah, all the t- kids with the alls who were like uh trying to like yeah, uh, yeah they, they, do were, the they, were, they teamed up with Emu because he promised them that they would have eternal dreams where they could just you know be reunited with their loved ones or just live happier lives have happy dreams yeah and uh, so yeah, he preyed on their desperation in that way. Like they want to escape from reality, but Tandro chooses to confront reality and realizes even though it's hard, even though it's painful, like he needs to move forward. Yeah. Like, but also I, I think it's so you know that that lesson Tandro has to learn at the end of the film, like overcoming his grief at the of Rengoku's death and like you know moving forward, like. He also, it is also an extension of what he realizes from the dream sequence with his family that, you know, his family, they would never, you know, disparage him for living, for continuing on with his life. And he, he recognizes, no, they would never say those things. And that's such an important thing is like, no, you should not feel bad. You should, you should not feel like yo you were not deserving of continuing on to live when someone else has passed away like you know you they would not want that for you they want the best for you and you should do right by them to live the best life you can to fight for the best life that you can have mm, yeah i think like the the general theme in this one that really kind of sticks out to me is kind of like confronting reality in mm. a way um especially like the line that really hit me was when Tanjiro was mentioning, like, I kind of wish this world was a dream. Yes, exactly. Yeah, and, like, at the end, too, where, like, Rengoku, like you guys said, he's very accepting of his own death. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I almost, like, kind of teared up a little bit when he's, like, talking about, tell my brother uh, to keep, like, yeah. working hard. And, like, like, no matter uh, what path he follows, it will be the right one. my father take care of himself. That's such yeah. a beautiful sentence and it's such simple things yeah it's like what what you'd really say to any family member regardless of if it was in demon slayer but it really hits just because of the performance and just how it's framed and like i like miriam like i like rengoku in the manga i thought he was a great character but the film really did a good job of making me 
fall in Careboard. love with him. Yes. Marion, <laughs> no, did you say him. kill him? Care more, I think. More, but, more, more. Not yeah. just care. Oh, okay. I thought you said, like, kill him. I think Marion Goku's characterization was extremely strong in the film. They added more emphasis to all of his scenes. They spent a little more time with him. Even though they didn't, like, add a ton more scenes with him, they spent more time with him in those scenes in terms of the length of the movie, the time he's spending with him in the movie. So by the time we get to the end, like, we know the character, we feel for the character's battle, we understand thematically the connection between him and Tanjiro and what he means to Tanjiro what he represents it on why is that is so affecting to him mm-hmm. am i the only one who like while i was watching the movie like suddenly it like clicked and i was like this is the all might version yes that was my brain too. i was um what was that scene uh he oh i think it was after he woke up he like showed up and i was like watashi wa kita <laughs> 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 like I was waiting for him to say it and I'm like, oh, oh yeah, okay. Wrong show, but yeah. Oh. <laughs> Same vibe. <laughs> I mean, all I could think yeah. of the whole time was just like cool. At the end of this movie we got Katsura and like friggin' um Kamui fighting each other. Yes. <laughs> yes. I, <laughs> I came for Ishida and I stayed for the boys. Yes. <laughs> I really gotta praise Ishida's performance too, cause he really got the subtleties of Akaza's character down to a T. Yes. Yeah. Begrudgingly, I have to admit, my favorite voice actor is a good voice actor. Even if that's not the role I want him <laughs> yeah. to be I mean, given, like, we aren't going to know, like, Akaza's backstory for a very long time, like, it really kind of nails down the frustration he's having at Rengoku for not accepting his offer. Yeah. And, like, it's like... Akaza's can't come to terms with, like, what, Rengoku doesn't want to become a demon? But he's so strong! What's gonna happen to all that power? It really goes to show just how much nuance can be captured in a vocal performance. Like, this is the same dialogue as in the manga, but just so much more emotional nuance of, like, where Akaza's coming from and where he's talking to Rengoku. Like, that just tells you so much more about the character. It makes him feel, like, so much more of a multidimensional character. Hmm. The, the conversation they were having was just like, it's it, it's something, one of those things that I love in like Battle Shonen where it's just like, oh yes, we're going to talk about our ideals while we're like fucking going at each other. And it's just like, oh my God, like it landed so well, uh, just, not just because like the animation was so good, but like the actual like content inside the words that they were saying, um, like Akaza's relationship with himself as a martial artist and what he strives for and acknowledging uh strength as like a like an ideal in other people and like Rengoku's like oh yeah strength of course i have it but like that's i i real i wield it for different reasons that you do and w- that's why we'll never get along and like just like the back and forth that they had was so fucking good like even with like the added uh added without the added context of like a manga reader and knowing what his actual backstory is in the future like i was completely content just like with this encounter because it it, uh, it really added exactly to uh, the kind of stuff that Rengoku was like teaching Tanjiro as like a like a like a senior, and just like we get like the whole oh you should become my Subako and I'll just teach you teach you or whatever, and like we're kind of, we kind of just like roll with it, but like throughout the film, like once everyone's awake and stuff, like you do see him actually treating 
like both Tanjiro and Inosuke as like actual pupils and like instilling like his own wisdom and like through his life experience and like stuff that he knows into them. And I feel like that's what really helped his character land. And like, like I, I feel like when I was reading, like I, I understood in my brain, like everything that was happening, but when you get to see the actual um, like actions, like animated, I guess, like, it's a it's a little more it's a little more different i guess um well that's because it's so much more subtleties are communicated through the character animation the character acting now mm-hmm. i mean just to talk about akaza like that's another point in the anime's favor like it if it, there's so much about akaza's character communicated through the fight in the film like you'll notice that in the fight that akaza like he does not care at all about the damage he's receiving at all like he'll lose limbs he'll have his fingers get cut off like he that's he does not care about his own body like because he's just so confident that he's going to regenerate like he does not place any value in that meanwhile Rengoku has to pay attention to protecting himself but he still fights on and presses Akaza anyway there's like just so much more about how Akaza sees his own body just sees his own life like and body like in, as a part of his life like that he doesn't ha- take any mind of like the damage he's receiving like he just continues fighting on just for the chill of the fight like because he's just so confident that he will not be killed no matter what like i just that's just there's a lot of great characterization detail in that mm, yeah totally that reminds me too of like in our theater on thursday people were like super grossed out at the initial akaza scene where oh it's so great like, it's such a great extension like this is the same action that happens in the manga like akaza's arm being split in half but just that extra scene of it we see him just like flaunting his split in half arm just it flopping about it, and then him like just twisting it back to regenerate just that extra emphasis on that scene again going to what i was talking about like you're showing his characterization showing like his value set and how that's different from goku like that's such a great addition Mm -hmm. character acting exactly i mean thematically this is just it's such an important emphasis to make and i'm glad the movie goes wrong with this distinction because the the difference in ideology between Rengoku and Akaza is the idea of what strength is. Like, Akaza just considers strength as part of uh, physical power. Meanwhile, you know, Rengoku is like, no, there are there's the greatest strength humans have is strength of will, like the strength to carry on to move forward, even though humans die, even though humans suffer pain and they suffer injuries, they can't recover from the fact that humans are strong enough to keep fighting anyway is what makes him strong. And that's why I just so love the moment. Brungoku says, this boy, Tandro, is not weak. Do not insult him. Because he is seeing Tanjiro's strength for a second. He knows that he has an inner strength. A strength that Akaza, someone who gave up on his humanity just for the pursuit of physical power, does not have. It's just such a great moment. And it was just beautifully executed in the anime. Like these thematic ideas, this thematic contrast, beautifully captured in the animation. I really, I really love on top of just that, like, uh, how with that ideological battle we get a a really good sense of just like uh because of like their because of like how we saw them fight uh how how their values like uh informed the way that they fought and how you know akasa just like treats his body as a tool or whatever as soon as the sun comes out and he runs away his whole thing is that like no i have to i have to i have to live or whatever but then like when tanjiro calls him a coward and says that like oh you're just running away because the sun is coming out 
uh, Rengoku didn't actually lose because you're running away. And then it's just like that really like the fact that Akaza reacts and he has that scene where it's just like, oh, his, his like veins are bulging because he's pissed off because he knows that like he can't just like go back outside and just like shut the kid up because the sun is out. But like it right. did like mess with him because he still has that martial artist mentality of like not backing down and facing things head on. Um, yeah, but also like in his mindset, like he he does think he's won the fight because he's killed Rengoku, and that's all he cares about. Like, oh, I won because I killed this guy. But that's not at the core of what the fight was about. Rengoku is fighting to protect everyone protect the lives of Tanjiro and Nosuke and all the passengers and he succeeded he fended Akaza off he and did we see that what it's from to. uh uh, uh I forgot how to pronounce his name uh master of the mansion Ubiashiki no Ubiashiki is the, yeah that's what Ubiashiki comments on like he did a amazing job not a single one of the passengers died and in addition to I really I really love that scene especially because he's the one person who was just like he he said he spouts like words of like positivity of like they accomplished their goal or whatever and everyone else is kind of like mourning uh Rengoku which is obvi- it makes sense obviously like you're going to you're going to be sad about it but like uh Ubiyashiki is sad but he's also like looking forward and like because of Rengoku's actions like all the, these people managed to survive and like yeah. Right. And Ubiashiki also knows, like, you know, my time is also almost. I here, will be joining but, you soon. You know, I will, you know, yeah, I will meet with them in the world after. Yeah. But yeah, like, the way Rengoku died is honorable because he, you know, he protected the lives of others. Like, he lived up to the responsibilities entrusted upon him. He stood by his beliefs and his ideals. He protected the innocent like he lived just such an honorable life and that's of course ultimately you know Ubiyashiki's message uh, Ubiyashiki's belief is also you know it does not matter like me myself my life because what matters is what I leave behind the people I leave behind and they will live on past me so I'm not afraid of my own debt but I will cease true like the people who have been entrusted to me, who I have been entrusted with protecting and guiding, I will be. I will do right by them. Mm, yeah, I think this is the part in the series where I really started to find Ubiyashiki fascinating, just because of like his perspective on life, and it's, it really goes back in this film's context. Goes back to the idea of kind of accepting reality, accepting fate, and Ubiyashiki's doing that. Just by like saying like, okay, yeah, I will be meeting Red Goku soon. I am also headed towards a similar direction. And I just love that the film has that bookend with those Ubiyashiki scenes. I love that scene they added. Yeah, I was about to say, I, I really I really did like that it the movie opened up with him. Like I mean it's it's I don't know if it was mentioned in this arc specifically or before. It was probably before that he remembers the name of everybody. Like, mm-hmm. and I mm. like that. I like that. That's just not an empty thing that he just kind of said. Yeah, yeah, I know everybody's name. Don't worry about yeah, it. Yeah, he, he says that he's saying all those names at the beginning of the film, too. So. Yeah, he's counting the names of all the fallen. That, yeah, that's a, that's what I'm saying. Like, he mentioned it like before. And now we're seeing it before. I mean, because anybody could just say, yeah, I kind of I know everybody's name. But I like that we see that. But I mean, not to go too far back just before I forget this point. 
um, we were talking about how um, Aka, like Akasa's the one who lost and everything like that, and we said, oh, I know Lum mentioned that oh he won in killing um, uh, in ridding and uh, killing Rengoku, but in a way he even lost that because remember his whole thing was like I want to be a demon, like killing yeah. him was just like okay he's not gonna join the team, and even up until the point where he like basically gave him a fatal blue he blow he's like still guy you're not dead yet we can still do we can still fix you come on just say yes <laughs> akasa failed at what he set out to do and yeah I, again i just love again the acting here that communicates akasa's frustration that he really really did want rinkoku to accept his offer of becoming demon. he really was so frustrated that Rengoku refused and ultimately died. Rengoku, don't worry, buddy. We brought the super glue. We can <laughs> save Stop you. it. Stop <laughs> it. Stop <laughs> too. V-Lord, I think you forgot that flames can melt glue. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> We're never going to get away from that Genya stuff, are we? We're just going to keep that up. <laughs> but yeah, no, it's, it's just really interesting to me. Like, even in that aspect, like... Uh, Akaza is just a complete loser. Like, yes. not in the sense yeah. of like, I mean, even the thing he set out to come and do, he didn't get to do that. He didn't kill. He didn't kill anybody on the train. He didn't. He didn't. He, he killed Rengoku, but that's not what he wanted to do either. And he couldn't even go back and like, you know, whoop Tanjiro's ass for talking shit about him. So it's like uh, he didn't get to do. I guess we could just recall. We could rename the movie Akaza's No Good, Very Bad Day. <laughs> I mean, yes. that's only a third of the movie, though. Like, what about the the first two thirds? Okay, Enmu not in it. Can I can I be outright? Like, Enmu, like seeing him in the movie, like re- made me realize, like, damn, his character is so flat. And like, I mean, I really now that's interesting because I liked him so much more in the film. I thought he was so much more fun and interesting. Yeah, I, I actually felt for him when he passed away because I think I they added so much to his characterization. <laughs> No, I actually no. I understood though. I understood him. I think a little more because I he really was lamenting this frustration of like, man, the only people who survive in this world are the chosen strong, like the upper rank demons. Like the upper rank demons, the ranks haven't changed for a hundred years. He desperately wanted to reach those ranks. He wanted to think of himself as one of the chosen. He thought he would be because he received so much of Muzan's blood, and I like that as set up for then seeing. Uh, Kaza show up, establishing the the level of strength difference between a uh, lower rank and upper rank, but also this idea of chosen ones, people who are chosen to be strong, chosen for a destiny, that ties into the ideological conflict between Akaza and Goku, where Akaza is saying, Kyodro, you are one of the chosen strong. Demons can, are only the chosen. You have been chosen by me, you should become a demon. And Goku is thinking, no. He's thinking his flashback to his mother. His mother is saying, you have been chosen, Kyodro, for your strength, but because of that responsibility, because of that strength, because you have this gift that is greater than others, you have the responsibility to use that to protect others, protect the weak, to preserve the world. Never for your own selfishness, for the sake and benefit of others. Mm-hmm. Like, and I, it thematically, yeah. I it all connects. I really appreciated it. I think it, Enmu's character was very much enhanced just by the performance of the actors in both the dub and sub. They did a great job handing him up and just making him a lot of fun to listen to and hear, like, spout his, like, gleeful musings about, like, 
and trapping people in the dreams, but also like taunting Tanjiro about like, oh, you're wondering why I'm still alive, even though my head's cut off. Well, I fuse the train in both seven done. <laughs> great performance, great moment there when he exclaims that. But also, yeah, again, when he passes away, like I think it very much captures the point of the character and what he's setting up and establishing in this arc in context to the later Akasa Rengoku fight and all this idea about being chosen about strength what is strength responsibility is strength like I, yeah, I get the connection now that you, you spell it out but in the moment I definitely that definitely went over my head and like I can appreciate it now that we're talking about it but in the moment when I was watching it I was just like oh god like Every other demon death that we got was like, oh, this personal backstory or like, I get that like it would get old after a while to go into every single demons like, oh, this is why I became a demon or like this is how uh, uh, like uh, my personal life as a human before informs my my now demon powers or something like along those lines. When I saw like his death throws, it came off to me more that uh, it was more like a scene of like trying to hype up. The Kizuki, which is like, I mean, obviously, it's more. No, I really like it because he's lamenting. No, this person was better than me. No, no, this person was better than me. He's just thinking about all these people who ended up being better than him and stronger than him. He's just lamenting that, you know, he, even though he so desperately wanted to be strong, he desperately had these big ambitions for himself. Like, he could not live up to them. He was not, as he thought, one of the chosen. And mm. he just relaments that. I, I think that ties in so well with you know, establishing the upper rank demons and the difference between them, but also just thematically in context of the, of what the arc is trying to say. Yeah. I don't know what could have been done for me to actually like pick up on that faster, to be honest. Yeah. I mean, I think it is a wordy point that he's just not a sympathetic character because he is a sociopath. I mean, he's uh, like a lot of the compelling characters in the series in the demons in the series. Like they do have like, you know, uh, of trauma in their past, like a lacking longing that twisted them when they became a demon. Uh, like, and so they are compelling in that way. Enmu is like more of a selfish creature, but I think that works for he the still arc. still kind of pretty though. No, he has a good character design. I appreciate that too. But yeah, like, uh, I think that he works very well. Mm. Yeah, the castle is definitely hotter though. Uh, yeah. I mean, yeah, Akasa is the Chad of the movie. Yeah. <laughs> and I kind of feel that's why, in a way, Enmu gets overshadowed by the end for me. Like, I, I definitely respect Enmu's character, like, well. Right, but I mean, when you get Akasa, I mean, you yeah, know. Yeah, oh, that Akasa. That Akasa. I mean, he was just the first chorus, to be honest. Yeah. Mm-hmm. One thing I, I want to just quickly switches into before like, I forget is... Since, like, we saw the dub, and to be clear, like, we're gonna do a more dub-focused episode uh, of Mugen Train later, too, with a different panel. But since I have Lum here, and Lum saw it dubbed, and they won't be on that. Lum, what did you think of the dub? I mean, I thought it was excellent, you know. Um, I think one thing you'll notice with a lot of dubs that have been coming out in the pandemic era is that the audio quality if you listen closely it's going to it is going to sound like how you might hear like a podcast audio sound even a really good podcast audio like it's not going to be crystal clear my quality there's going to be some radio noisiness to it you can definitely tell that with certain performances in this film like i think bryce as um inosuke in particular a little bit with zanitsu 
but overall, still quality acting. It still pretty sounded good. My experience was, you know, I was still immersed in it. I didn't pay too much attention to, like, the nuances of the sound quality and whatnot. I think that Mark Whitten was just fantastic as Rengoku. Like, I liked Satoshi Hino's performance. I really appreciated Mark Whitten. He's not as, like, bombastic, like, in the beginning as parts, especially as Rengoku, in when he's, like, screaming and loudly and, uh, like just bluntly about things but like in terms of the emotional nuances of uh, you know Rengoku's character I think he captured those expertly especially at the you know big emotional climaxes at the end just really brilliantly Landon McDonald again handed up very well as Enemy. I really enjoyed his performance great villain performance Lucian Dodge also great performance as Akaza just pretty perfect on the character uh, like I liked it about as much as Ishida's and you know Lucian Dodge is Mahito and Jujutsu Kaisen so you know good villain roles he's getting in these jump series adaptations appreciate it a lot you know, for a character that does not have a ton of screen time, you know, Ruka Rengoku, Rengoku's mom, I thought Susie Young was actually did a really memorable performance. I feel the same way about Megumi Toyoguchi. Like, that's a really memorable character in terms of design and uh, impact, impact, even though she's only in one scene. So, like, stood out to me. I think in general, like, I liked all the characters. Like, maybe Tanjiro's siblings, they sound a little too cartoony. I feel like Kirk Thornton played the conductor in addition to playing Tanjiro's dad. So that kind of threw me off a bit. Maybe a bit too much Don Patch. Yeah, you know, whenever I hear Kirk Thornton, I'm just going to think of Don Patch. So I, it's hard for me to take, you know, a serious role of Kirk Thornton's seriously so you know in that respect like you know uh tantra was that especially i would prefer uh chinichiri or joe mcgee's performance but. instead of the hinokami kagura he should have passed out the legendary green onion sword. the dawn pat sword yes yes that should have been what he entrusted tanjiro so what do you think the preference would be overall it's very good i think i would go I really enjoy the dub I think that the Japanese because like I think Zach Aguilar did an amazing job but Natsuka and I just had just that edge just that little bit of edge I would go with that also because I think Matsuoka is a nosuke again I like Bryce but just that little bit of edge again I think for most of the characters in the original, there is just a little bit of edge. I think for the English dub, the standouts were, I think I actually do prefer in some scenes, Witten's Rengoku over, uh, he knows. I think only it has to do though with like some of how the way the dialogue was written in the dub compared to how the subtitles were written out. Like, a particular moment that stood out for me was when Rengoku is telling Tanjiro to quiet down. Like, in the sub, like, he... The sub is written in a way where it feels, like, very blunt. Like, you can stop screaming already or something like that. Which feels, like, a little less kind to me than what he... Than what should be the intent. Like, in the dub, he says, like, please calm down. Like, and I... I got that sense of compassion... And concern for Mugoku and the dub from Witten's performance, from the way that the dialogue was written. Just that more. So there are scenes like that where I prefer some of the dub performances of Mugoku, as well as Enmu. Like, that's some of the hamminess of Enmu in the dub I prefer. Uh, some of the moments with Akaza in the dub I really liked. But 
Yeah, for the main, our, our main cast of Tanjiro Inosuke, Zenitsu, uh, yeah, I, I, my, for that, those characters alone, and because Tanjiro especially carries so much emotional weight on his shoulders for this film, I, I, I go with this up, but it's very close, like, both equally really well done. Yeah, I agree with, at least with Tanjiro, because, like, I'm probably the minority opinion on, like, every time I bring this up, but it feels like Japanese Tanjiro kind of hits more emotional range than English Tanjiro, if that makes any sense. Like, dub Tanjiro sounds alright, it just doesn't hit the same. It's a genocide quality. I don't think that necessarily there's more range, but just the performance, there's just that much more nuance. There's just just more gravity that carries across in the voice and just the emotions that are conveyed in the performance in Hanai's. Like, just that tiny bit more that makes a difference. It's, again, very close to me. I think Aguilar does a great job. It's just just It sounds great. It just doesn't, like, hit the same way, if that makes sense. Yeah. Again, a genesis qua. It can't quite pinpoint it, but there's just something to the original performance from Hanai that just puts it, it just gives it a little, that little bit of an edge. Yeah, I mean, I feel part of it too is like, Natsuki Hanai's been like in voiceover for like a decade at this point. Well, Zach has done a lot of talented stuff, but he's also relatively newer. So I think that little bit of experience, also maybe like a different direction and stuff like that, kind of gives Hanai the edge there. You make a good point. It's just like really hard because like whenever I bring this up on Dumb Weaves and the dub part of Demon Slayer, it's like everybody disagrees. I mean, like I, I don't personally completely disagree, but I also don't think like one is drastically better than the other. I mean, like, it's like they don't really understand the... uh, Well, they also prefer dubs. (laughs) I mean, it's just so hard. Like, there's some choices in the way the dub is written that makes... Again, with that scene with Ringoku at the end, like, if I could pick and choose scenes where I liked in the original compared to the dub, like, uh, I'd make a perfect version that way that... I mean, I'd do that, but... Yeah, it's just, it's hard. There, There's some strengths of the original, and there's some strengths of the dub. It's really weird, like, for me, the whole dub is, like, it's really good. The dub's really good. It's just, like, Tanjiro doesn't, like, hit the emotional range as good. It's really weird to explain. I think I got, I, I kind of get it, what you're trying to say. Um, I, I guess in the end, though, it's really up to... It's a very subjective thing, you know? Sometimes people uh, just register differently to other kind of voices. Um, besides that, uh, is there anything else about the movie y'all want to talk about? Um, I wanted to bring up the fact that, like... Uh, sorry, I, sh- I should have said this before asking everyone else. <laughs> um, just before I forget. Uh, I've, I've read the manga a couple times now. Um, I think, like, the movie was really good at setting up pieces like within like the the story and like how events develop uh in a really like nice way because uh i remember er- very early on tanjiro was like oh do you know anything about the hinokami kagura uh and renko's was like nope i don't uh sorry uh anyway uh <laughs> and then later on we see like he he has his dream sequence and then like uh he has like this the experience with his father where um he remembers like his father gave up swordsmanship and everything and like that informs later on when he tells tanjiro like 
oh, uh, there were there were these papers that the previous Flame Hashira like had access to that I never read. Uh, maybe that could help you out. And then like stuff like that is, is really cool. Just like it's like a throwback to like, oh, an hour and a half ago. But like, hey, this is pretty useful uh, for like later plot purposes. And also even like not, not just like stuff that pays off like within the same movie. Like uh, was it uh, I think there was an offhand comment uh, or when uh, Rengoku talking to Sendro, his little brother, who's voiced by Nasa. And yes, Yuji? I yeah. just saw that. I just saw that just now. I mean, when I was watching the movie, I was like, "Why does he sound so familiar to me?" <laughs> <laughs> and that, it's that, the Chad yeah, Julius. I just read it. Like, he's gonna grow yeah, up. Yeah, God, <laughs> he's the wrong brother in this one, though. Because wouldn't like, Ren Goku be Julius? And <laughs> you're so right. They both die too. <laughs> So uh, one day, Marion and I are just going to start a spider web uh, podcast, you know, just hanging. <laughs> I got my hat. I'm ready to go. But uh, no, yeah, I, I really love the the fact that he, he tells uh, his little brother like, oh, you you probably don't have memories of the time when mother was still alive. But, you know, she blah, 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 like all these things. And then like back during the mother flashback, we see like that big pivotal moment where like she's like instilling her values in him and like gives him a hug and everything and Sanjuro's in the scene but he's asleep and I'm just like oh that's a nice touch like oh he was around obviously of course he's not gonna remember he was asleep yeah he's asleep I don't know it's just it's really nice though the uh set setups and payoffs that were established yeah I mean I think one thing we didn't touch on just that we should probably touch on really soon because we're running a little long is a question that we had on the well first of all we had two questions but I feel like we answered them more or less. But just to highlight that, just to highlight that. But no, no, before we do that, before we do that, we did have one thing that we want to talk about where what do we think about this movie in regard to people who have not seen any Demon Slayer? I don't think it's a very accessible film. So I've checked out reactions, reviews from people who, you know, w- just went in to review the film, like critically, like not really knowing any of Demon Slayer. And they were pretty lost and not necessarily impressed with what they saw. Like, they couldn't follow along. So they couldn't connect with it emotionally. Uh, like, they may have found the animation impressive. They may have liked uh, the some characters. Like, But overall, they didn't really, like, get invested. Like, I think a fair review was the... IndieWire review because the author does basically say, you know, trying to review this film is like trying to review Avengers Endgame without seeing the rest of the MCU and wondering why a bunch of costume people are trying to kill a potato farmer in space in the first That's pretty funny. <laughs> so, I would yeah. just watch that without watching previous contests. Oh, yeah. the, the thing is, I do feel like there is a little bit there that would make it accessible just with the flashbacks and everything. It's just not enough. Like, it's the yeah. way... Cause so that review I mentioned, like, it mentions, yeah, there's flashbacks that, like, can give you clues as to what happened, but because they are... They're not told in an explicit way, and it's it's ma- a lot is left to you 
to interpret if you haven't seen the show before and try and piece things together. And that's just too much to ask because there's so much going on in this film. This film does not really spend time introducing the already established characters. So, like, at best, you'll get a sense of Rengoku and Enmu and their stories very well, but, like, not really our main characters. And that's going to be a problem because you are expected to know Tanjiro's character arc, what he's been through, and why, like, his dream sequence is so meaningful, why the story, uh, the events of the story are so meaningful and impactful, and why they matter. Like, if, and if you don't have that context, if you don't have that investment, you're not going to really come away from this film, like, super impressed in the, in it or in the series. Like, I also watched, uh, Brad Jones's review and, like, that's also his takeaway. He was, Why did Brad go and see Mugen Train? Because they see, like, uh, they see, like, anything that releases in theaters, basically. But I watched it just because I was, because I, I figured that that guy would see it and he's a good representative of, like, these kind of, like, movie credits. I mean, like, yeah, his takeaway next- was, yeah, no, that guy, I like, I don't support his content anymore after the change of channel. Yeah, thing. that guy is kind of a jerk. Yeah, but I, just to see, like, what a guy like that's takeaway would be, like, someone who doesn't watch anime and doesn't, and, but, like, is a moviegoer, like, sees pretty much every movie, like, their, his impressions were like, well, I, 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 I was never bored but I, I didn't, I, but nothing in it really made me want to go seek out the show. Hmm. But ultimately, like, you know. But part of me does wonder, like, what do you seek out the show anyways? And I feel like a type of person like him. Right. Would. But I mean, the thing is, there's a lot of people like that. I would say that would be like the majority of people who aren't anime fans. Okay. Like, yeah, that's not, true. And that's, which is a majority of people. So with people who watch Spirited Away... Watch Demon Slayer, Mugen Train. So that's another context. another review that I read. Like compared and said, you know, it doesn't have the majesty of some a Spirit Away, the previous number one anime film worldwide. Like that's literally a quote oh from a review God. that I read. It's like compared to Spirit Away, it says, "Oh, people expecting like something along Spirit Away aren't really going to get that. It's not." As well, anime. I feel that's a very unfair comparison. It is an unfair comparison, but like that's what people that those are the kind of benchmarks people yeah. are going to compare an anime film to if they're not like already invested in the show and they're not invested in like even the mainstreamest of anime. So, like in terms of accessibility, I again, I just don't think that this is accessible to me. I mean, I can get why they would compare it because Demon Slayer, like literally, fucking dethroned Spirited Away, so I could yeah. get why they would compare it. And then you make a good point in, like, explaining why they compared them and, like, why they said, oh, this is just another shonen, whatever it's called. Yeah. So our verdict, if you want your friend to watch the movie, make them sit through the anime. Or you could be that annoying friend who, like, recaps the whole thing but and still drag them to the movie. I Yeah, I don't think they'll... Yeah. That, I don't think they'll enjoy it. We don't recommend it, <laughs> that, but that, I mean, yeah. there's those, there's literally those three compilation films now. If you really want the speed run version, yeah, that's <laughs> that's a decent speed run version. At the very, I think the preferable thing would be to just watch the entire show because even with that, like you're gonna miss like Zenitsu and Minosuke's introductions if you only watch. So how much Demon Slayer would they have to watch anyway to get the whole deal on this whole thing? 
You'd have to watch the whole season. You'd have to, yeah. You, there's only the TV series in this, so really you'd have to watch all of it. Why well, just men like if there's like a clip show version, like to get like a good idea on like. There's a clip show on Funimation that's like that's like three episodes long episodes, but no, you know. there's three compilation films. Like the Funimation lists them, and that's because that's because how they list things. Like if you go and see Dragon Ball Z on there, they're gonna be listed like episodes to bring new. Yeah, I was doing air quotes. Like yeah, these are TV. These were TV specials broadcast in Japan. There's one or one was actually released in theaters. The first one that was the first five episodes. Yeah, uh, and then there's a, they made one for Nagatomo Mountain. Which is where they fight uh, Rui and the Spider family. And then they made one uh, for the Hoshre meeting, which is basically the Hoshre meeting and then the stuff at Butterfly Mansion. Yeah. So those are the three. Oh shit, they really like, cut out the whole thing in between Not a Google. Yeah, and that yeah, clock's in about six hours total. That's uh, fucking yes. funny. I would watch yeah. that. But yeah. But I mean, like, uh, I mainly put this question in here uh, because the New York Times literally asked me this. Yeah. And my stance was like, if you really want to see it from a production's perspective, go ahead. But right, and so that's ideally, ideally, like, like you should go and watch the anime. Yeah, and really, there's no reason not to because it's very it's easily very available. accessible. It's on Netflix, on Hulu, it's on Crunchyroll yeah. for free. It's everywhere. So and yeah. that's yeah, that's another thing is like you know, if you want to really get the most out of your movie experience, you should watch the show and be invested in the show and these characters. But if you do just want to see hey this is like the number one anime film of all time and japanese film of all time and maybe even the number one film of 2020 by the time its theatrical run concludes worldwide uh, you know if you want to see what the whole the hubbub is about like if you just want to see it on that level like sure go ahead and you're not going to have like a i don't think that you're going to have like a bad time is there like that's another thing in these reviews from these people who were unfamiliar with the franchise like they didn't get invested in it but they didn't think it was like the worst experience ever in terms of like just watching it like they thought it was like okay there's some there's some stuff here that's pretty enjoyable like i didn't get invested i didn't like enjoy it it wasn't the food fight of anime (laughs) no but it's like you know, it they it's respectable. Like I can appreciate it on some level. That's that's the common refrain I heard from a lot of these reviews from people unfamiliar with the franchise and not invested in anime even in general. And that's why this film has a hundred percent on Rotten Tomatoes because even like the lukewarm reviews, like there's respect for it. Like there, there's nothing in this film that's a super big turn off. Uh, except for some of the animisms of like you know character screaming, and that is another thing. Is like Zenitsu and Osuke screaming that did turn some people off from the reviews I read. But like in general, you know, it, people can m- roll with it for the other stuff in it. Mm. All right, I think now's the perfect time to uh, transition into some Twitter questions. Uh, I do have the tweet open. Questions uh, and comments. The first one that came in was from Yuji Ogawa at MSL. FPL. Uh, I live in Tokyo and I have two questions for you. How was the audience's reaction about the ending of the movie? How much uh, success do you think the movie is going to get in the States? Thanks. Uh, Thank you for the question. Uh, I think we kind of addressed both of them. Uh, Specifically about the ending of the movie on my end, like people were, I think they were still like pretty like sad, (laughs) like about just like the tone of like, oh yeah, this awesome character just passed away but also it left like a big impact on everyone um 
uh yeah and and like about the success i think it's well on track to being the most successful anime film of 2020 like lum said uh in terms of like box office stuff it's just yeah i mean yeah like uh it, potentially by the time this finishes its theatrical run in north america we could it could clinch that's why it's the highest grossing film of 2020 like mm-hmm. period worldwide and uh, yeah in terms of north american performance of anime films wise like this could have the potential to uh, unseat broly space at n- the number three highest grossing north american anime theatrical run yeah but like what it what would show the movie theaters uh, to play more anime on i think so and i think that we'll see the next the next time so the last mj movie also it didn't do these numbers but it did pretty well and it opened in a with a pretty good amount of theaters i think with the third film when that comes out over here i think we'll see especially with the success that demon slayer has shown what they're gonna try and do that same treatment with mha i think they're gonna try and put it in as many theaters give it as many show times i think we'll see a pretty successful run for it it would be nice to not need to ask someone to go to the fucking theater at fucking 7 p.m. on a fucking Tuesday or Wednesday. Yeah, no, yeah. I, I think that, yeah, with, like, again, these bigger anime films related to these bigger franchises, I think you'll, you can expect more traditional release structures like this film, like Broly had, like the last MJ movie had, where you'll get them, they won't just be event films, they'll play like a traditional movie, multiple show times, multiple theaters throughout the week. Mm. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, should we move on to the next question? Yeah. Uh, yeah, um, next comment, I have one from that one welder guy on Twitter, my friend uh, James. Hi, <laughs> James. I, I laugh at Tony Danza. That's a nice screen name. Uh, oh, that's James. Oh, yeah, from, uh, host of the Kicking Stones podcast. Shout outs and the uh, iShow Twenty One podcast now. Yeah, yes. go listen to uh, Deal with the Devils. It's an excellent podcast. Go through all iShow Twenty One. I'm gonna try and read through the series to keep up with it. Like, yeah. I'm really enjoying their show so far. Yeah, James does really cool stuff. Mm-hmm. Go, go, give them some love. He had to say, uh, "I watched the dub version. The voice acting was great." Uh, the animation was really good too. And I'm gonna need that OST soon. <laughs> also, uh, I went and ate crab afterwards, which probably wasn't an important detail, but I feel it belongs in this review of mine. On a serious yes, note, it did. <laughs> I think it was a pretty good adaptation of that arc and it fit pretty well in a movie format. 10 out of 10 would would and probably will watch again. Okay, final note, Nezuko Q. Good Agreed. Yeah, thank you for the comment. I, I like I the comment. It, it took me on a very very wild ride i i liked i liked uh your review thank you uh, mm. <laughs> i also agree that the, i can agree and i think allison can agree also that we're gonna both we're gonna all three need that osc soon like i, yeah. I need to oh, yeah i need all those tracks on a, on a couple cds I, I searched out uh the akaza team and people are Akaza. fast they made there have been a many covers made i did find like excerpt of the original but yeah i want the full osc track mm. me too I need it in my ear holes. <laughs> yeah, and as a, as far as like an adaptation of the arc, I think the movie was like perfect way to go. Uh, and I think most people can agree as well, just because like we all had nothing, not, not that much. Like uh, most of our criticisms uh, are like not even that bad uh, for the most part. Like everyone really enjoyed it. Everyone had like wonderful things to say. And as a as a distillation of that arc in like a movie format, I think it was perfect. Uh, 
Yeah, it I mean, did, I it think did its job. with cut, like as we said, like they just they were able to add things. Like the fact that it's it's only a thirteen chapter long arc, like barely a volume over a volume. So it's like it was the perfect length for a film. And uh, next comment, I have one from <gasps> our very own Meowth nine hundred. Uh, <laughs> cried like four times, I think. Probably cried more because I read the arc in the manga. Fuck a Kaza man. <laughs> <laughs> you're tr- you're so right. Fuck oh, Akaza. Yeah. I mean, yes, fuck Akaza in both ways. Yes. Oh. I was waiting for that. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> um. Yeah. Uh, next Stupid comment. Sexy Akaza. <laughs> yeah. Oh he is. my God! Is he, he Flanders now? Oh no. He is stupid and sexy. a big uh, butt joints through his tights. Or? <laughs> oh no. <laughs> Oh yeah, through his MC Hammer pants. <laughs> Next question. Feel Next like question we're nothing is at all. From our very own AG, your anime guy on Twitter. Considering the movie's massive popularity, uh, do you think they would make a second one after season two? Also, Velor not hosting. I can't believe it. Naruto voice. You better believe it. I can't believe it's not Velord. Can you believe it? You can't believe it. Naruto! 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 He's very cool. <laughs> Sakura, the beautiful. The beautiful. Naruto! But to actually answer the question, yeah, I think they'll, I think they'll make a second movie after season two. Yeah, I agree. I'm, yeah, I'm kind of... i kind of disappointed that... Well, not disappointed, but I feel like... I think Entertainment District, in terms of arcs that would make a good length for movies, like Entertainment District and Swordsmith Village would be the best two other choices. You'd probably have to cut them into two movies, though. No, I don't think you do, because most of those arcs are just fighting. Most of those arcs, like, <laughs> three-fourths of the both of those arcs are just fighting. There's not... That can go pretty fast. Yeah, I think they would probably, like, lose out on time in between airings if they made the movies, too. And like, and also those arcs don't really work to split in two. Like again, most of those arcs are just like one long fight. Like, it just, uh, it, where do you split it? it I'm it, guessing they could put out the content faster if they made it a TV show compared to a movie, and more people would be able to see it compared to a movie. I don't think like well, speed's an issue for them. At this well, point. I think that's just they they decided on making. A second season while the film was still in production yeah. and by the time it released. So, like, you know, that was already a plan and they moved forward with it. Like, we know that there have been talks between Toho and Annie Plax and Oshoesha, everyone, about, like, well, how to handle the future of the Sanai franchise. Oh, yo, I did and- notice, actually, like, when the movie started, the credits for Shueisha as, like, uh, at the very yeah. start. And, yeah. uh, uh, was it, uh, is it Toho, the film distributor? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Toho and Toho Shueisha and Aniplex and like yeah, I I found that very interesting, especially like considering our our discussion on like the uh, the information that was made public about the talks of how those three companies came together to like discuss the future of how the anime will be adapted. Like it was very in, like meat to chew in the back of my head as I was watching. Yeah, I mean, yeah. So it's gonna be interesting to see like what they'll do. They're definitely gonna make another film. Like with the, this success, I I don't see them not making another film. I think that if they haven't already decided to adapt Swordsman Village as a season in the TV show, they should just like 
do that as a film. And I really don't want him to do the final arcs as a film because of the way those are formatted, those would just be better as a, a TV season. Because, like, that it caught the... The... Uh, upper rank one fight alone, like... That fight with Kokushima, that's longer than the Mugen train arc in terms of chapters. That one fight alone. <laughs> like, yeah, I don't think having also just a movie that's like a series of fights is like a good structure format for a movie. It'll so be better DBS. episodic TV shows. Um, but DBS is a self-contained in just one fight kind of thing. Like, the uh, these other ones, they'd be like a series of fights and it's not going to be like... Yeah, it's just too long, that final arc, again. I do feel I do feel a little concerned that since Demon Slayer one arc movie did so good in Japan that they're gonna make all anime arcs into movies now because that'll really lock out a lot of foreigners. I don't know. I think th- I think in terms of accessibility, like if we're just talking about these big shonen franchises, like it's not gonna be lock out, I think, people. Because I think uh, those stuff will get licensed and shown. So yeah. it's not going to really be a big issue. Like, did you think guys in Zero? That's going to get shown in theaters. In fact, I wouldn't be surprised if, like, that gets uh, released as comparable to this one. Considering how popular Jutsu Kaisen is here now. And Black Clover? Heck, that could probably get that too with that film. Yeah, I just but meant yeah, like... I, yeah, but I meant like, if you don't live in Japan, you won't be able to see it, like, no, right. no, you will. Not, I mean, not I right think, away, obviously. So, so not I like think, like, we're not, but... we're not going to run into a situation like what's happening now, I think, again, for a while. Yeah. One could hope, unless there's another pandemic. Right. The delay for this was because they were waiting for the right time to release it in the North American theatrical market. If you remember Broly, that came out a month after the film came out in uh, Japan. MHA took a little longer. That was about... Three months later, but like I and think, when, and One Piece Stampede came out like almost immediately too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I think <laughs> that with bigger films, I think you'll see like kind of a faster turnaround. Like I think the next MHA film, like can, depending on where we're at pandemic wise uh, by the summer, like I think we'll see a quick turnaround for that, and that's gonna get like a pretty wide release. Now, in terms of like these again arc films that are adapting canon arcs, like Jujutsu Kaisen Zero is like the next big one we know of. I, I, I again, I think that you know we'll see a wide release for that, because I, I, of how popular that series is, and you know we'll just see going forward. I do think this film could be the start of that trend, but I, I'm, I don't think it'll. The, the accessibility issues uh, will be as problematic as, uh, you know, w- they would have been in the past. Well, as long as they sell it digitally afterwards, because a lot of people yeah. don't really live in New York or California where they show anime theater, movies in theaters everywhere. It'll yeah. probably be a similar reach to this, if not... Bigger. Yeah, I mean, theatrical windows are like only two months now anyway, yeah. so I think we'll expect that, you know... After theatrical, you only have to wait like maybe two months for it yeah. to be available digitally. I mean, I'll put it this way: the dub for this film had been done quite a while before this release. I don't think I'm allowed to say when it was done, but it, it's been done for a while. Yeah, weird. I thought the dub would have held it back a bit. Nah, not really. Oh, Anaplex yeah. usually is very fast at getting like materials. That makes sense, especially since Anaplex doesn't really dub that much. I mean, also because, like, they, they're literally affiliated with Japanese Anaplex. Yeah, that too. 
All right, I think now's a perfect time to move on to second to last comment. Uh, Daryl at Daryl underscore SR. Did you think the adaptation of the clash between Upper Moon 3 and Rengoku met your expectations in the choreograph choreography and animation regard? I also heard people talking good things about the scene where Tanjiro had to cut his neck constantly to stay in the fight. <laughs> did you think it was well done? And if it was an improvement over the manga? Um, we did kind of touch on those. Uh, My answer is yes to all three. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Basically, the, the scenes where Tanjiro had to cut his neck constantly did contribute to the the age rating uh, in North America. Uh, so yeah, they, they kept it. It was cool. <laughs> I, I I think um, the best part, though, like was the buildup as like it was happening constantly. And then at some point, Inosuke had to come up and like, he was like, Tanjiro, you're in the real world. Don't actually kill yourself. <laughs> <laughs> oh my oh god. My god. That, that I was love Inosuke so much. The music really added to that scene, too, because the buildup was just like Constant. It was very gradual. It was really good. Shout out to the Inosuke app. They were very good. <laughs> Indeed. Also, God, this last question made me laugh. <laughs> and, uh, from Bavia Shukla at Bavia S58529290. Uh, did Tanjiro lose his sword again? Laugh and cry emoji. Imagine Hodoru's face. <laughs> and you see, uh, I think H Haganazuka is just like. Yeah, yeah Haganazuka. Great. Gif of him poking Tanjiro. He did lose yeah, it. He you, heated you're the not going to have to imagine forest. it. You're not going to have to imagine it. Just wait and see. In the next season of Demon Slayer, you'll see Hakanezuka's reaction. Oh no! <laughs> I'm ready. Oh no! I really, I really did love the scene where Tanjiro heated the fuck out of his sword. Yeah. Oh, yes. That oh my god! So and him nice. infusing with the Hinokani Kagura. You know, again, just great moment. Yeah, indeed. Oh, wait. Can I, as I forgot, like, we were talking about the choreo, but then, like, oh, the the, the scene where uh, Regoku does, like, his final is Ogi. The oh, my God. Yeah. And the, the technique yeah. named after himself. Like, Bro, that yeah. shit was crazy. The fact that oh he did, God. like, three slashes, uh, and it, like, camera cut every time that, like, he changed the direction of his slash. And, yeah. like... That was so fucking epic. I think that was the that was the one scene where I was literally like pogging in my fucking seat. I was making the pog face and I was just like, oh. yeah, no, again, and talking about embellishing the action, like seeing inside that vortex of flame, when Goku slashing up Akaza and him like, and Akaza actually reacting in pain to the way his body is being cut up, and like we're just seeing like you know just every agonizing move they're making and before like it just flashes away in the explosion and then of course we cut out to see like the end result like beautifully beautifully done just yeah. such an intense moment i love that hey, man it was just so good the fact i, I mean i'm still oh, man the, the fact that Rengoku had to get kakyoined is insane just got fisted anyway oh. i think this is a good time to start transitioning and signing out yeah, um, I think Jekka already fell asleep. Oh, Jekka no. did fall asleep. She's under Enmu's dream. She, or... You gotta, Jekka, you gotta wake up. You gotta cut your neck in your dream and wake up. To be fair, I did tell her she can yeet whenever she wants, because mm. I knew we probably wouldn't go I, over. Yeet an explosive fury like Rengoku on the train. Leaving um, every lot impressed. Leaving us behind the desk. Um, okay, so, uh, what do we do? We're 
okay who wants to go first and like um plug in your stuff because i yeah, mean I'm, sakaki I'm not... do you want to first plug jekka stuff for her uh uh, okay, I wasn't prepared for this. Uh, go, somebody else go first. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Allison, you're our next guest. Why don't you plug your stuff? Oh, uh, do I have anything important? Your Twitter. Oh yeah, I do. And dumb weeps. Oh yeah, I have too. I'm a ten out of ten PR person, aren't I? <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, uh, at Meowth900.twitter.com Feel free to talk to me about anything. I'm mostly retweeting fan arts these days because I'm so big. Uh, you can also find me on Five Dumb Weep with a bunch of other guys and V-Lord. Uh, we talk about anime on there. I forget what's the next episode that's gonna come out, but I gotta kick Whatever laser edits. Yeah, I, I gotta kick his ass some more to get him to edit. And I gotta kick V-Lord's ass some more to get him to put out the episode. So, and know. once I get the files, I put them out. Oh yeah, that's true. So I gotta kick the editor's ass then. Remind me to kick the editor's ass. But, uh, yeah. Dumbweed. Alright, cool. Also been on the, uh, MHAP podcast with MHAP people, and I do good reading skills. Yeah, it's fun, it's fun every time I'm on and Allison's also... MHA Pod is awesome. Yes. And uh, I was also on a couple of the M Jujutsu Kai episodes, but I don't know if those are out and those are behind a paywall, but they're pretty entertaining, I think. Yeah, I think they're part of the, the My Hero Academia podcast Patreon. Uh, well, but you can mm-hmm. check them out at uh, MHA Pod at, on Twitter. Uh, Lum, why don't you plug your stuff? You can find me at Lomomiyasha on Twitter. It's Lomomiyasha Variety. Please look at Animation Revelation Analysts. Wherever it is, Lomomiyasha. Or if you can find me, you can read my manga reviews on all.com. We got a lot of books coming in, a lot of reviews going out. Look forward to more on there. That's always where we're going to find Manga Merits, the podcast I do with my good friend Colton, where we discuss manga as a medium and as an industry. We're covering series, recapping news, interviewing guests. We do a lot of cool stuff on the show, covering a broad swath of manga, including an episode on Demon Slayer with these fine hosts of the Demon Slayer podcast that you can look forward to coming out very soon. So look forward to that full retrospective of the manga in celebration of basically, you know, the year since it's ended and our mm-hmm. story. So yeah, look forward to that. And of course, you can also find related podcasts, manga memories, and other podcasts I do, including Manga Resident Movies, which is a show where we mainly talk about anime movies. So if you enjoyed this and this talk about this Demon Slayer film, this is basically an episode of Manga Resident Movies just with more people on it. So yeah, look forward to our archives of Manga Resident Movies. So want to hear us talk about like the previous big box office anime hit in North America, Dragon Ball Super Broly? We have us on to that. You can look, listen to that. We've got episodes of a bunch of great films. And also, if you want to learn about a series that... Not necessarily about demons, but about uh, aliens inspired by demons. You can listen to Hashtag Lum Squad, the podcast I do covering Yurosuyatsura, the classic manga by Rumiko Takahashi, where me and my good friend AC, we cover just the wonderful world of the series. We recapping and reviewing every volume of Viz's new release. We're currently caught up to the Viz manga release, so now we're looking forward to covering the anime movies, which are now on Crunchyroll, and we've got a review of Only You planned, and should be coming out very soon, the first film, and there's going to be a lot to echo out there. So again, yeah, more anime movie discussion. Yeah, definitely look forward to more episodes of Lum Squad, and yeah. So check out all that stuff. 
Thank you, Rap Godlum. Oh, but uh, if you want to follow the art I do, if you like the art I make for my podcast, the thumbnails, the art I make in general in, in terms of the animation and illustrations I do, you can follow all of that on my Instagram at SetArtWorks. Nice. Uh, Feelord, you can uh, transition in as our podcast host. Uh, Doesn't Sakaki self go? And you? No, I, you go first because you're... Uh, you you yeah. got a lot of stuff messed up. Okay, you can find me on the Twitters at VLordGTZ, and then I also write various manga and light novel reviews for all-comic.com, as well as Tsunami-related editorials for TanamiFaithful.com. As we also alluded to in this podcast, I was recently interviewed by the New York Times about Demon Slayer, so you can find the article that I mentioned in on the New York Times website, it's primarily about, like, what to expect from Demon Slayer Mugen Train and what you should check out before it. So it's kind of just, like, very broad. The short answer is go watch the anime, obviously. But, yeah, it's meant for, like, casual uh, people going into the film. So it was nice that New York Times was spreading the Demon Slayer love and that they reached out to me for my input. And beyond that, uh... I do quite a few other podcasts. Like what? Well, I guess the one that, like, none of us are really super hard affiliated with besides me is the Tommy Faithful podcast. I'm a kind of regular at this point. Uh, so you can check that out at Tanami Podcast. And then, like Allison mentioned, the Dumb Weebs podcast on Twitter at Dumb Weebs Pod. Um, and then with Sakaki and Marion, I do... Oversoul Shaman King podcast at Shaman King Pod and Saturday Night Shoggy at Sat Night Shoggy. So yeah, check those out. I would have never known. Thank you so much. Sakaki, why don't you tell us what you're into? Okay, I guess I'll start off with me then. That'd be easier. Uh, well, you can find me at Kirobon, K-I-I-R-O-B-O-N on Twitter. Uh, nothing there, so let's move on. Um... Then there's also at WSS Talkback on Twitter where I talk about Shonen Sunday and all the nice things in there. That uh, basically we try our best to uh, describe the magazine to people who only see it for whatever Miko Takahashi's doing or Conan. That there are other things in that magazine. Um, there do be Conan. We also, <laughs> we also have WSS Talkback.blogspot.com where we where there are translations of interviews, uh, reviews by Marion and Cheka, and it has been updated in a while, and that's really bad, but we'll get to it. And of course, uh, as I always pitch, if anybody wants to write about Shogaku Khan or Shonen Sunday series, we are always looking for uh, extra hands. It doesn't have to be a series that's currently running, it doesn't have to be a series that's like necessarily in Shonen Sunday, it can be anything that's Shogaku Khan related, and we're always happy to have new writers. As for Jekka, um, you can find her at Jekka, J-E-C-K-A, 1021 on Twitter. Um, I'm not really sure what else to say there. <laughs> I mean, she she's there, yeah. She uh, does Jekka she, things. Yes, yes. Sometimes so she can, watches and live tweets stuff. Yeah, her live tweets are hilarious, and if you see them, yes, they're, please support those. They're really good. Um, I also write for Toonami Faithful. Um that's a thing so please i should be writing something soon so please look forward to that uh, uh, 
Oh, right. Almost forgot this. Uh, you can also, I'm also on with Colton, which we, who we mentioned. Or I don't, I think we mentioned off mic. Sorry. Another day, another adventure, which is at another DB pod, which is where if it's animated and has Goku in it, we hope to talk about it. Except if it's like a random Japanese McDonald's commercial. Uh, I'm now <laughs> legally, I'm now legally um, obligated to keep saying that because Colts and I are really afraid that somebody will be like, well, you didn't do this one thing where Goku was like selling a Toyota. You need to talk about that. Never say <laughs> <And> never. Like, <laughs> So we, we're we're not doing everything, but one day you'll be strapped things. for content. One day you'll get big. And with all the talking we did about um freaking probably, I guess I really watch it. Yeah, probably. Yeah, you'll, you'll get there in like ten years. Don't worry yeah, about it. Yeah, ten years. <laughs> Twenty years, maybe. Forty year old like Sakaki be like, I finally watched Broly. Good old man, go watch the other like five super films that have come out. I Jesus, hear Jekyll laughing at me. <laughs> oh, you, okay. you woke her up. How dare you? <laughs> oh, wow, you guys good job, <laughs> All right, yeah. All right, but yeah, that's it for me. Cool. All right, and. uh you can find me on Twitter at microwavy the e before the b. I have a card listed in my description with like all the other projects that I'm on. I co-host uh, Over Soul Shaman King podcast and Saturday Night Shoggy with these two lovely people, V Lord and Sakaki. Uh, besides that, I'm also on the Good Friends Anime Club. New episode came out uh, today as of recording the the twenty fifth, the twenty fourth, I guess. Uh, it was cool. We recorded it ages ago, but uh stuff happened we we had to push out the actual published date but um yeah i'm on a whole bunch of other stuff sometimes i guest on mha pod um i'm also on haiku pod uh that's on hiatus though so is the dorhadora podcast but yeah all that stuff is on my my card uh besides that i also contribute writing for tsunami faithful at tsunamifaithful.com i wrote an uh an editorial on bobobo that should be out hopefully by the time this episode is up um i'm excited yeah yeah um, i also write reviews for sakaki's shonen sunday blog or weekly shogaku on edition wss talk back.blogspot.com and i also have uh reviews on my personal blog heavens doorknob.wordpress.com and yes that is a joe joke uh besides that you can uh listen to our other podcasts uh, other demon slayer podcast episodes on uh basically any platform where podcasts are, are hold, held uh on anchor spotify itunes you name it google play uh we're also on uh tsunamifaithful.com they are people who host us uh so definitely check them out as well um yeah i think the next episode that we'll be recording will be as the lord said uh specifically for the dub of uh Mugen train so look forward to that as well um, alright, now I gotta think of something clever to leave the episode on. Remember, kids, don't fall asleep on the train or you'll miss your stop. Bam. True! Because you might die! <laughs> <laughs> I mean, falling asleep and then getting eaten. That doesn't sound too bad. Oh my god, Abby. <laughs> okay, I'm about to. Um, that's it. I can't, oh, I can't stop that. Perfect. Good night, everybody. Night, night. <laughs> Sayonara! Later! Bye-bye.